Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Well, good weekend and welcome to another season of the Pipeline Show. That's right, you just heard the new intro for season 16 of uh, the program. Debuted way back in February of 2006. 2006, it's been a long time, uh, but getting ready and excited for a new season. Yes, it is a weird situation. Uh, we don't know what's happening with uh, in terms of the pandemic and when leagues can get back going. We do have a date for the NHL draft. But the show must go on, so welcome to Season 16 of the Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Flaming. If you're a newcomer, then welcome to the program. And if you're a returning listener, man, I really appreciate that you're sticking with the show uh, through these tough times. And I know even with, uh, you know, sponsorship is down and uh, even patrons of supporting the show through Patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show, that's a bit down right now as well because times are tough for everybody. I know, I'm feeling it personally. Uh, so I really appreciate if you're a listener who's coming, just want to hear the show, that's great. If you're one that's chipping in with a couple of bucks every month to get early access to all the interviews and stuff like that through Patreon, uh, then I really appreciate that too. Honestly, if it wasn't for you folks on Patreon, I'm not sure that I'd be doing the show right now. So huge thank you. I really, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Let's get to it. And uh, there are some news and notes right now. I've had the last couple of weeks off to uh, recharge the batteries. In the meantime, there has been some news. Of course, the NHL playoffs uh, have started in the last couple of weeks. I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a ton of it. I, I've caught a couple of Philadelphia Flyer games, and that's about it, to, to be quite honest with you. But my focus with the show is on uh, junior and college hockey, and right now the news isn't tremendously uh, great. Interestingly, though, some leagues, they've pushed back their start dates. Others have kept it right where they, uh, where they had set them maybe you know, three months ago, and college hockey, there's still so much up in the air. But to the best of my knowledge, these are the updated starts for some of the leagues that uh, we talk about here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, Greg Drennan's blog has a, a nice a summary. You can check that out. Uh, gregdrennan.com is his uh, where you can find his stuff. But according to him, he's got the AHL listed at December 4th, the AJHL uh, for September 18th. Meanwhile, the BCHL is December 1st. Now, the AJ did 
revised that. They've pushed it. They don't have a new start date. They're just going to be practicing, basically, and they might have some scrimmages and stuff, but that's supposed to start in mid-September. So no firm date uh, or target right now for the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Manitoba, they're starting September 25th. The uh, North American Hockey League, they've targeted October 9th. The OHL and the WHL are uh, early December, December 2nd, uh, 1st for the OHL. And uh, the WHL, I believe, is December 2nd or 4th, something like that. Anyway, early December. Uh, meanwhile, the Q, that's an interesting situation because they have targeted October 1st to uh, start. They're going to have some preseason games coming up. Sounds like they're going to play without fans. And they're early on, at least, they're going to be limited to, you know, the Maritime teams are all going to play against themselves. And uh, the teams in the queue, in Quebec rather, are going to be uh, focused on one another as well. One advantage with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League compared to the OHL and the Dub, no American teams. In the big picture, I'd like to see the queue get back uh, south of the border. But right now, it's kind of in their working in their advantage because they don't have the, the border crossing to deal with like the OHL and the Dub do. Another league that doesn't have to worry about the border crossing is the USHL. They've uh, come out and announced they'd like to start play by November 6th with players arriving in their respective towns in mid-September and over the course of a month. Then they'd get into some preseason games in uh, early to mid-October, which I found interesting because I, I looked it up just statistically and I tweeted about it. I think it was, I think I singled out Iowa, but the state of Iowa had more new cases of COVID-19 than all of Canada earlier this week in the in the one day. Of course, uh, Iowa is one of the states where the USHL is located, and yet they're planning on starting in early November before the uh, WHL and the OHL. So I found that interesting, and who knows, you know, it might just be uh, the mindset of two different countries and how they view things, but we'll see. All of these dates are going to be, I'm sure, penciled in rather than written in with ink because they're i don't know how you predict uh, one week to the next and uh, when things will actually be safe for everybody uh, to get back to uh, somewhat of a normal schedule of course the nhl is hoping they can start their new season on december 1st as well only time will tell meanwhile bad news uh, for the ncaa as uh, the alaska the university of alaska in um, anchorage the seawolves have announced that they are going to uh, terminate the hockey program there after this coming season again assuming that there is a coming season but uh, this would be the final year for the hockey program up there meanwhile the uh, Fairbanks location of the University of Alaska that would be the home of the uh, Nanix Colton Pareko's old program uh, they have said no changes planned except they're not going to be part of uh, the new CCHA so might be an independent something like Arizona State has been that will be interesting so we'll uh We'll keep tabs on that story as well. Oh, by the way, speaking of the USHL, they, there was a big storm that rolled through uh, parts of uh, the Midwestern United States. Chris Peters, who you're going to hear from on the show today, uh, lives in that area, and he his home suffered some damage. Uh, but so did two of the rinks for USHL. The Cedar Rapids uh, Rough Riders, their arena uh, was damaged, as was uh, the Des Moines Buccaneers. Now, the Bucks may have got off a little bit lighter, but there's extensive uh, damage in Cedar Rapids to the rink there. At least that's according to uh, Jeff Johnson, who has uh, been on the show in the past. He's the uh, beat writer covering the uh, USHL in Cedar Rapids. So that was uh, tough news for sure, and maybe that is uh, something that delays the start of the USHL 
at least in those two uh, cities. But in case you hadn't heard, I thought I should uh, take a second and pass that on. Other than that, that's going to be uh, it for the news and notes. Normally, we would start off with a, uh, a question of the week, but maybe we'll save that for uh, once, if and when the uh, regular season in uh, junior and college hockey gets closer. Maybe we get into some serious uh, preseason action. But for now, we'll skip the question of the day. Just had the news and notes section. Can tell you that all the guests that you're going to hear from today join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The uh, tap room is now open in Red Deer. If you're in the Alberta area, you can also get same-day delivery. Place your order through troubledmonk.com. By 1 p.m., you'll get same-day delivery. That's in uh, the major markets of uh, Calgary, Red Deer, Edmonton, Sherwood Park, and St. Albert. I know there was talk. I'm going to have to confirm with a Troubled Monk on it or not because uh, I know there was talk about that would be available everywhere in Alberta, but I haven't got the update on that because I was on vacation. So you might, if you're you know, in Grand Prairie or Medicine Hat, you might want to check with uh, Troubled Monk about that um, to see if it's available for sure. But uh, those other five cities that I mentioned, absolutely available. And I'll tell you what, I picked up some uh, Troubled Monk just before I left for vacation. So I had a uh, variety of uh, Troubled Monk brews with me to uh, try while I was uh, out camping in the woods. And I'm just looking on the website right now, and uh, it says it's currently out of stock. But boy, keep checking back, because I know it changes often what's in and what's out of stock. But if you get a chance to try the Russian Imperial Stout, they call it Insane in the Lane Brain, uh, I've never had a beer like it. I don't think it's going to be for everybody out there, but I got to tell you, I loved it. So it may be out of stock right now, but uh, keep checking back, and uh, I recommend it. Give it a try. Uh, but, of course, you can get uh, all your favorites, the uh, the Bucktooth Belgian White, the Open Road American Brown Ale, the uh, Golden Gates, the Pesky Pig, the Daycation. Check uh, for inventory on uh, the Juicy Gossip uh, IPA and the Inception IPA. Uh, so many great varieties to choose from, and very happy uh, to have Troubled Monk as the sponsor of the hotline. Now, who are the guests you're going to hear from today? Well, I'll tell you what, hard to imagine a better start to a season than the lineup I've got for you today. Season 15 ended with uh, a variety of uh, independent scouts coming on and uh, sharing a list of six of their personal favorites for the NHL draft and uh, one or two guys that they thought less of to some degree than uh, some of their peers. And that was very popular with the audience. I got several messages from people who said that was a, a great way to end the season. I thought, you know what, if it's a great way to end a season, maybe it's a great way to start the season. So that's what we're doing. I tracked down uh, another handful of uh, guests that you're going to uh, really enjoy their insight. So here's what we got in store for you today. I mentioned Chris Peters from ESPN. He's their prospect guru. He's going to come on. He's going to tell you about half a dozen guys that he really thinks are undervalued for the uh, draft, plus a player that uh, he might be willing to pass on. Then we're going to go with uh, Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. He's going to do the same. After that, Larry Fisher from Future Considerations, as well as the Hockey Raiders. Man, and I asked him for six guys on his uh, personal favorites list, and he gave me like 15. We had to narrow it down, or else we would have had an hour and a half just with him. He also gave me a couple of guys that he has some concerns with. So we'll dive into uh, his picks in segment three, and we'll close things out with uh, Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects. First time he's been on the show, but I've been trying to track down uh, Cam for a while now. Uh, really glad to have him on. I invited uh, somebody from HockeyProspect.com on as well, but um, the folks that I had attempted to reach out to 
they're all on vacation right now. And understandably, hey, it's the uh, middle to late August. It's supposed to be the summer. So the NHL draft still uh, a month and a half away. There'll be uh, lots of time. We'll get uh, the guys from HockeyProspect.com back on the show uh, for sure. Well, let's get right to it. And we'll start things off with Chris Peters from ESPN. Six of his personal favorites and a guy he has some concern with next here on the Pipeline Show. Welcome to Season 16. Coach Dibbon could not resist leaving Newhook out there. Newhook will wind up out of his own zone. He went from Newfoundland to Victoria last year, and here he goes. Wide around the middle. Newhook shoots, scores! He does it again! Hi, it's Alex Newhook of the Victoria Grizzlies, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Hi, I'm Sarah from Arcan Trailer and RV. We know many lives have been altered and plans have changed, but something that hasn't changed is everyone's desire to make new memories with their families. Arcan wants to help you go camping this summer, and we'd like to make your payments for you. This isn't a deferral. We'll make your payments all summer long. Or if you currently have an RV but need a new one, trade it in and we'll make your payments too. It's on us. Visit ArcanRV.com for details and start planning your best trip ever. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. That's right. Now, say my name. With Gee Flaming. You're goddamn right. We're back on The Pipeline Show. We're going to kick off uh, Season 16. Uh, doesn't get a whole lot better than this. Good friend of The Pipeline Show is joining me again, Chris Peters from ESPN. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well, Gee. How are you? I'm doing well as well. Boy, that sounded weird. Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I know you guys had a big storm that rolled through a little while ago. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that outside of the uh, the loss of your uh, playground equipment in your backyard, uh, you you got through that uh, fairly well? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're definitely among the lucky ones because certainly seen some, some more damage, including uh, you know, a couple of USHL arenas. Des Moines and, and Cedar Rapids both sustained pretty heavy damage and uh, you know, hope, hoping that uh, they're, they're – they're able to uh, get that all repaired and fixed and everything. But yeah, it's just been a pretty wild uh, couple of weeks. We've had a couple of major storms and yeah, a lot of damage throughout the area and hoping, hoping for the best and really hoping, uh, you know, thinking of all the people in Cedar Rapids, which seemed to be the worst hit of uh, any of the areas of that storm. Speaking of the USHL, I know all the leagues up here have pushed their start dates uh, way back. I think December is now the earliest uh, that any of them have, a circle except for the queue they think they can still play in october but has the ushl announced anything yet they have not um you know i think that they're they're still kind of sorting through uh it sounds like you know players are supposed to be reporting relatively soon most teams have held tryout camps um you know cedar rapids was actually supposed to have their their tryout camp in cedar rapids before the storm and had to had to move it to minnesota um so you know it's just i think they're they're still pre, you know trying to go forward um, you know, I've talked in and around. I think most people believe it'll be delayed at some at some point, mm-hmm. um, but it has not been made official yet. And uh, you know, the other thing too is the USHL, where it's positioned. You know, the, the state of Iowa does not have very strict guidelines in terms of who can be where. Uh, but you know, there are teams in Michigan, there are teams in in Illinois. Uh, you know, it, there there are certainly different rules uh, throughout the country and obviously it helps not having any teams across the border mm-hmm. um to to 
you know, that that's another key factor, but yeah, it's, it's just been a, it's been a tough one. I think everybody's still trying to figure things out and, you know, we still don't know what's going to happen with the college hockey season either. So, so many things up in the air right now. I, I know that everybody's working hard to try and, and make it happen some way or another. Well, the one thing we do know is the NHL draft will be held finally October 9th and 10th uh, for the 2020 NHL draft. And uh, the way we ended season 15, I had a handful of scouts come on the show and I asked them to give me uh, six of their personal favorites and one guy that they think will get taken uh, earlier than they personally would be prepared to take that player. We're going to kick off this season's uh, show in very much the same fashion. So I, I'm putting the question to you and you gave me a list of six guys that stand out for you. Uh, and, uh, and one guy that, that, again, on the opposite side of the ledger, not necessarily that you don't like him at all, uh, but you think he's going to go before you would take him. Let's start with uh, the good side and uh, Lucas Reichel, uh, the German uh, who is uh, high on a lot of lists uh, as a, a potential first rounder. Tell me what you like about him. Yeah, well, you know, he, he's probably one of my favorite players in the draft period. Um, you know, he's grown on me throughout the course of the year, having seen him, you know, play mostly on video on the in the DEL, but then also getting to see him live at the World Juniors and getting to watch some of his, you know, Germany actually had some games uh, this summer, so I was able to see him again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but Lucas Reichel has been a guy that's steadily grown on me because he is so highly skilled. I think he's got a smoothness to his puck skills. He, he thinks the game really well and really quickly, too. I love the way that he makes plays down low, too, uh, especially in the pros. You know, he, he goes to the net. He would, you know, sell sell a play and, and, you know, dish it off to a guy, you know, behind him. You didn't even expect him to make that play. Um, just a lot of really good, quiet puck skills. Um, I think that he handles himself well enough in the defensive zone. You know, he's a winger, so he's, he's you know, definitely viewed more for his offensive capabilities, and certainly that's where – his uh, his power lies, but you know it seems like the, the reason I, I listed him as a guy that I think should go higher. Uh, you know I think he kind of started as a as a fringe first rounder, and kind of as time has gone on, more people have kind of thought, hey, maybe he is like a mid first round guy. You know I think for me personally, and you know my last ranking doesn't reflect this, but as I've seen more, I think he's getting closer to the top fifteen conversation for me. Wow. Um, just because of the the puck skills, the hockey sense. Uh, the fact that I think that there's some raw ability there that he has to tap into yet, um, I think, you know, especially as he gets physically stronger, he has a decent size frame. You know, he's he's really thin. He's, you know, he needs to gain muscle. Uh, but he, he really is a guy that, that I think can create offense, can drive play. And, you know, at this most recent international tournament that Germany or international friendlies with Switzerland they played, you know, he was away from Tim Stutzel and John Jason Paterka. So he was he was on his own, and he was driving his line, and he was their best player, I thought, throughout the entire tr- three games that I watched. And the past season, uh, just comparing him to Paterka, just the offensive output, he had, uh, you know, more than double the number of uh, points than Paterka. Right. Playing, in, playing in the same league, different teams, but I don't know if that speaks more to uh, opportunity and ice time. Did Reichel play more than Paterka or, you know, just looking at those two players, what's the difference uh, between them in your mind? I, I just think that there's much more creativity from Lucas Reichel. I mean, I, I view Paterka more as a finisher, not necessarily a playmaker. Um, yeah. And I, I think that the puck skills are, are stand out for Reichel while they're very average for Paterka, although he has the better shot of the two. Hmm. So, yeah, it's just, I think really I'm looking at guys and I'm seeing, you know, how much can they create on their own? I think what we saw with Lucas Reichel throughout the season and, you know, even at the World Juniors when he wasn't 
the go-to guy, he still just made things happen. He makes really smart plays. I, I just think he's a, a much more creative player. All right, let's go to an import that was playing in the queue with the Shawinigan uh, Cataract. Uh, that would be uh, Vasily Ponomaryov, if I uh, didn't butcher that uh, too badly. But I know <laughs> there are a lot of people who have him maybe mid to early second round. But uh, what about for you? Uh, this is a guy that made your personal favorites list. Tell me why. Yeah, you know, he's been a guy that I've I've kind of just been keeping my eye on since the Holinka. I thought that he was one of the, the better forwards at that and, and the way that he played. Um, you know, he's so strong and he he's really uh he he has some physical edge to him. I think, you know, that this year coming over to North America, I think the adjustment was a little bit tougher for him. You know, I've had a chance to talk to him a few times and you know, I just see a guy that, that's just trying still to, to find his way a little bit, but the hand skills are underrated. I, I feel like I think that he has, you know, and I, I think at times he didn't show it necessarily as much as he has, but you know, he does all these little things well with his hands. And I think he, you add that to the strength and the power that he possesses and his ability to use his body. I think it's only a matter of time before he just kind of breaks out of that shell. He's a low first rounder for me. Um, I, I don't know that he's going to go in that range, but I, I think that, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy that, there is a risk factor, but I see a lot of upside in what he's able to do. And, and the fact that he can, you know, kind of have a power game, but also have a soft skill game. Um, I, I like, I like the kind of versatility that he shows. And he's just been one of those guys that really stayed pretty high on my list throughout the entire season. I didn't, you know, I didn't love his games in the queue necessarily. I thought that he would be a much more effective player, hmm. but I, I mean, you also have to take those games with a grain of salt and say how much of that is because of, you know, the adjustment, you know, the the language barrier, just all these different things. I mean, it's really difficult for these kids to kind of come in right away and be superstars, um, especially at 17 years old. So, you know, when I've seen him with Russia at other events and having had the chance to see him live multiple times, I just think that there is, there's a pretty high upside with him. And even though, you know, his numbers were not great in the queue this year, I'm not scared by that. 18 goals, nothing wrong with that. Uh, 31 assists along the way. He had 49 points this season. Do you see him as a, a goal scorer, or is he more of a, a um, um, you know, I don't know if he can really pinpoint him as a, a setup guy or a, or a shooter, but his offensive strengths, so which side would you lean towards for him? Yeah, I think I think he has the ability to make plays. I, I you know, I think it, he's he's not big enough to be a, you know a prototypical power forward, but I think you know he. I look at guys that that can kind of drive the net and, and make plays down low and make plays along the wall. And I think that he, that's one of some of the things that he does particularly well. Um, you know, I like his competitiveness. If he's, you know, there's certainly times where he might not be engaged as, as much as he should be. And I think that that's probably one of the reasons that he's dipped a bit. But I, I mean, I just see him as a guy, he's probably a middle six forward, you know, a guy that's going to give you some scoring depth and, and, and not necessarily be a superstar for you. But I do think that he's, he's the kind of guy that, will help you win games um, just by the sure way that sure way that he can control the puck and protect the puck and, and make plays in close to the net. Chris Peters from ESPN is my guest. We're looking at some of the uh, his personal favorites for the 2020 draft and uh, merit. <laughs> you give They're me not the... easy this year. The I... Russian names are not easy this year. They're not. <laughs> uh, all right, Merit Kuznudinov, uh, the, he's a center, but he's a small guy. Uh, but uh, obviously uh, there's yeah. enough there that uh, stands out for you. High motor. I mean, just absolute compete. You know, he, he is all out 200 foot. You know, is he, is he the best defender? No, cause he's, he's a, he's a small guy, but he makes it tough for a lot of players. And, you know, I think that, 
he's got the good good skating, good speed. I like the hand skills. I think those are all all quality. But you know, you look at guys that are kind of on the smaller side, but have that competitive edge. I mean, he he reminded me more of of Nick Robertson without the elite shot that that Robertson has. I mean, just in terms of you know their skill there, but then you've got this competitive edge, this ability to not be not play small, to feel like you can actually you know get in there and get into the corners and get your nose dirty. Um, you know, he's, he's just, and then he's got the skill to like make those nice zone entries and make those smart plays with the puck. And, you know, I think that his size is certainly going to be one of those things that holds him back from potentially being a first round pick. I mean, for me, he's a high second rounder. I mean, it's not like I'm, I'm super high uh, versus the field. It's just one of those guys that every time I watch him play, I enjoy what I see. I think that he's a guy that, that, you know, is, is going to be a good teammate, a guy that will help, you know, help your team win because he does so many little things on top of having, you know, the skill and ability to finish. Mm, yeah, nearly a point per game guy uh, in the MHL this uh, this past season, uh, and you saw him at the Holinka Gretzky Cup as well. Yeah, and and at the uh, the World Junior H Challenge. Oh, that's so, right. Like, you know, those were those were two good opportunities to see him. And you know, there were guys that really shined at the Holinka that really struggled at the Junior H Challenge, despite the fact that you know. The, the quality of competition had had gone down a bit, but it, but I really think that uh, you know, and that that was the thing that stood out for me is, and, and Russia won that tournament with Kuznetsov, you know, kind of being a, a star player for them. So uh, he's he's a really good player, and I, I like I like what he brings to the table. And interesting because he only had one point in the six games at the World Junior A Challenge. Yet maybe this is a case where stats don't tell the whole story because he was one of their better players. Right, yeah, and that was such a weird tournament in terms of like, I mean, Brendan Brisson set like tied the record for the for for points in that tournament, and and you know there were some guys that just did not put up points, and he was one of them. But it, you notice him every single time he's on the ice, and you say you like, what is he doing? And and then you know he had more points at, at the Holinka Gretzky Cup, and then he had a really good season in the MHL, um, you know, playing in a bit of a, a tougher situation. So um, it looks like he's going to start the season in the KHL. I mean, he's getting preseason games in the KHL right now, and it will be very interesting to see how he fares against men. Uh, but he's at least being given the opportunity to get some some looks with the pro team. And I'd be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, spent a portion of the season in the K, uh, you know, in a kind of a depth role to start. All right, let's uh, go to another forward. Uh, this another smallish forward. Uh, this time, uh, Thomas Bordalo played for the uh, national junior team. Uh, the uh, U18 squad this past season, and uh, uh, he was another point per game player this year. I know he's headed to Michigan eventually, if and when college hockey gets going th- <laughs> this uh, coming season. But uh, tell me about him as a player. Yeah, you know he's he's another creative guy. This is another one of those situations where it's a, it's a guy who handles the puck well, who can make you know make some plays, make some creative plays. You know he, he has a chance to be a you know third generation NHLer with his dad and his grandfather, both uh, having played in the league and, and, you know, for, for, for briefer periods of time, but, you know, he is, he's just a really interesting character. You know, I think, I think he's got really good. Uh, he, he's got a really good character in terms of, you know, he's, he, he's a good teammate. The team has really seemed to like him. He, he was really popular with his team this year. Um, he also just does so many things with the puck. And, and he was a guy that it took me a longer to warm up to. Cause I saw him at times last season in his U 17 season. I was like, oh, that's a pretty nice player. You know, he's got, he's got some ability. If he starts putting things together, you know, maybe he's going to, going to really pop. And then, you know, I saw more and more and I'm like, Oh boy, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that, that just kind of grew on me throughout the season. And having had a lot of live views of him, 
Um, I thought he was better at the end of the season than he was at the beginning of the season. I really like to see progression. I, I, I always look for that. And I think that from year to year, Bordalo took some of the biggest strides on that team. Um, and I thought that on a team that did not score very many goals, he was a consistent threat for them. Uh, this was an abnormally low scoring under 18 team, which is why I kind of scoff a little bit at that kind of the snickers about Jake Sanderson's production, you know, and why that means that he shouldn't be a top potential top 10 pick. I, I just think this team did not score that many goals, but when you had Bortolo averaging over a point per game, really good setup, man. I mean, really nice vision, really good passing and just good plays down low. I, I, I thought that that was important and, you know, hopefully, you know, selfishly, I want to see Michigan start the game, you know, start playing at some point because that is going to be an absolute wagon of a freshman yeah, class yeah. Uh, that they have there. And he's, he's a big part of that. And it's going to, it's going to be amazing. How are they, I don't know how they're going to find ice time for everybody at Michigan with the size of their class. And they just added Matthew Beniers as well. So uh, it's that team is loaded. It would be the, you know, the most sought after draft team, most scouted team this year with who else they have uh, on the roster. So uh, selfishly, I, I mean, we got to be safe first, absolutely. But I, I really hope there's a college hockey season because that would be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I'm with you. That was uh, Thomas Bordalo. Let's go to a couple deep cuts now. Uh, Declan Carlisle, a, a defenseman who uh, he played uh, at Merrimack College this year. And I know there uh, with uh, Zach Ewens, uh, Merrimack would have been scouted a lot this year. But uh, I haven't heard this name uh, come up uh, on my show yet this year. So tell me about Declan Carlisle. Yeah, you know, he's been my, my sleeper guy since probably January where, you know, he's just the guy that he's like my go-to response for for sleepers. I mean, you know, I actually thought he played better and has more upside than Ewan's um, personally. I think they both are really good players. I think they both should be drafted. Um, and they both, you know, what I'm looking at in is particularly with Carlisle and, and Ewan's, they, they are the most utilized defenseman on their team as freshmen on a team that is, you know, Merrimack, no, nobody really has a lot of respect for kind of what they've done. Scott Bork is their head coach now, and they're they're looking to make a turnaround in that program, and they have two cornerstone defensemen to potentially help them do that. And I think Carlisle was an all-rookie all team for Hockey East this year as well, um, and I think that says a lot about what the rest of the league thought about him because he played big minutes. He played against top teams. I watched him shut down the top line in the country, which was Jack Dugan and uh, you know, he Jack Dugan at Providence and, and really didn't have any points in that game. And he had points in just about every game this season. Um, and, and Merrimack won that game and, and pretty much, you know, put, put Providence on their heels for a season that ultimately would not be completed. But, you know, I think that the defensive side of the game comes really naturally to him. I love his gap control. I think he really steps up and plays well. He cuts down, you know, opposing forwards pretty easily. There's a physical element to his game. Um, you know, he does need to, you know, kind of, he, he made some freshman mistakes this year throughout the season, but I thought that, you know, his mobility is very good. Um, and also I think offensively, like he's not going to be a huge point producer, but I thought that he really helps sp- spark things from the back end, move the puck up well good transitional defenseman uh, going forwards or, or playing D. So I think that he's, he's one of those guys that, that is, you know, a mid round guy, probably if, if I, you know, I, I think that a lot of people started kind of getting hip to him around the same time I did. And just, you know, because he was playing in such important games for Merrimack, because they were kind of fighting for their, 
fighting for their postseason lives there. Uh, and, you know, that's a team that I think it's not going to get a lot of attention nationally, but having guys like that can really help you build up your program. And I, I think he's, he's going to be a foundational player for them. Uh, if we have a season this year, uh, and we'll only get better, and, and is a guy that, that is well worth uh, taking a chance on. Should mention he is 20 years old, so he's been eligible uh, for uh, a couple of years already. Correct. Now, yep. last year he played in the USHL in split time uh, between Lincoln and Muskegon, and before that he was in Canada in the uh, OJHL with the Wellington Dukes. I mean, is this a classic late bloomer? I mean, did he was he passed over it, uh, wrongly in previous years, or is this the year where he? He really put it together, and and now he deserves to get drafted. Yeah, I think I think it's a certainly more of a late bloomer situation. I think you know having the opportunity, and it's it's tough because I think when you you know the USHL, obviously they have there are a lot of guys in that league that are you know on the cusp. You know some of them some of them are right there, and I think that sometimes there could be some of that inherent bias. I, I I did talk to a few scouts that thought that he deserved to be drafted after last year. They even went back and watched shifts from his from last season just to see what you know what they might have missed before um but i i mean i think that it wasn't like he was a guy that was on a lot of lists by any means um but you know it's amazing what happens when you're given an opportunity and and that's the value of a player like that choosing merrimack as opposed to trying to go to one of the bigger schools because you get that opportunity and you have a chance to be a key guy right away and clearly, um, you know, he was given the reins pretty quickly and played a lot of minutes, a lot of minutes for that team and, and just shined in those, those situations. And the fact that he was able to compete, you know, with a, with a pretty weak team against some of the top lines in the country uh, is pretty impressive to me. All right. One more guy to get to. That's Ben Meehan, who's uh, also a 19-year-old defenseman, uh, played in the USHL this past year with Cedar Rapids. He's headed to UMass Lowell again if and when there's a college season. But I like what I like about just looking at his uh, his uh, stats history. Uh, he played high school and and uh, at the uh, academies, and then took that one year to play in the USHL before going to college. It seems like a lot of guys who don't do that they jump right from uh, high school to the NCAA. Those guys struggle a little bit. I like that he took that step to play junior one year. Uh, but I don't know him yeah. as a player. So uh, what can you tell me? Yeah, you know, he, he did not play a ton this year. So that's part of the issue. And that's why he's kind of on my deep cuts for the, for the year because he is, you know, he, he was injured, but, but when he went injured, when he was down, before he went down, he was the leading scoring defenseman in the USHL. Mm. Um, and, you know, he's got a really nice shot. He did make the World Junior A Challenge team based on that strong start, but unfortunately, you know, suffered some injuries and didn't really get a complete picture this season. But what I saw from him over the course of the year and when I did get a chance to see him right here at Cedar Rapids, which was the closest team to me, um, was a highly mobile defenseman, really intelligent, has a really good feel for the offensive zone and, and how to make plays um, from the blue line. And, and I thought that, you know, he transitions well, he defends well. There's a you know, pretty good package. I thought his frame was pretty, you know, solid. He had good strength. You know, he was taking advantage of that extra year. You know, going to UMass Lowell is a is a place where you know a guy like him should have a pretty substantial role right away. They they've had really good teams. Norm Bazin has done a phenomenal job there, um, building building a team and also developing pro talent. And you know, they don't have a ton of pros, but there have been guys that have end up making it uh, to the big leagues from from UMass Lowell since Bazin has been there. I mean, Connor Hellebuck is the most famous as a goaltender, but you know, certainly guys like Chad Ruedel and others like that 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 have you know carved themselves out a little career. I think that you know Ben Bean's going to fit in very nicely there and develop very well there. 
Um, but he's just one of those guys where the, the risk is high because he doesn't have a huge body of work. You know, he, you're, you're looking at a, a partial USHL season. But I will say, the fact that he was producing as much as he was for Cedar Rapids um, is pretty interesting to me because <laughs> that is not a place where we've seen defensemen necessarily put up major numbers. Um, but they have had guys in the past, like Ivan Provorov played his 16-year-old year there. Um, Scott Prunovich just won the Holby Baker. He played there. Um, didn't produce a lot there. Didn't get drafted out of there, but you know, ended up you know getting a good foundation there. So I, I think that there's some really good development of defensemen that happens there. Um, and Ben Meehan is just one of those guys where I would love to see him get a chance because he, when he was healthy, he was excellent. And I, I think that teams that that were able to see that are, are going to take a chance on a guy like that. All right, uh, that's Ben Meehan. All right, I did ask everybody to give me uh, one player who, again, uh, not that you don't like the player at all or that you refuse to draft him, but you think he's going to go before you would take him in the draft. And uh, that guy for you, Hendrix Lapierre. Uh, tell me why Hendrix Lapierre of the Shkuti Saganines is uh, that guy for you. Yeah, well, it's certainly not because I, I don't like him because that's not the case. I mean, I think it really just comes down to risk and mitigating risk. And the fact that he missed so much time this year, the fact that when he was healthy outside of the, the Ivan Holinka, he wasn't very good. You know, I, I didn't see very many, you know, the, watching his QMJHL games this year was really hard to get a feel for kind of what player he uh, wants to be. And I thought that that was one of the things where we saw last season. I mean, you, you have to, I think you have to judge a player based on the body of work. He was such so good as a rookie in the Q. And, you know, he was so good at the Holinka and, you know, obviously had number of points and, and that got him on the radar and, but I mean I've seen so many times where a guy has a, a an incredible Holinka and just disappears for the rest of the season even if even if he did have a track record before that hmm. and so I you know for me it just comes down to body of work and I know there are going to be teams that have done absolutely way more homework than I could potentially or, or possibly do on a player like that because you know there's there's so many things that come into play the medical history and you know the whether you're concerned about that the, the other things you know interviews and you know i didn't have many opportunities to see him uh, live i didn't have any opportunities to see him live this year so it's mostly off of video um and it's one of those things where you know i think based on the information that i have it's hard for me to say okay this guy is a clear cut you know top half of the first round or anything like that whereas some teams might say hey you know what we're going to take that risk and we're going to see what we can get out of it it's just uh for me it's purely about the risk reward. And I, I don't know that the reward is necessarily going to be high enough for me to want to, you know, jump up higher in the draft. He still is within my first round. And that, that to me, that speaks to kind of the draft. And I think that there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of, and, and it's a weird year anyway. Right. So it's, it's one of those things where you're, you're just trying to make the best of this situation. Mm-hmm. And so guys like that, I got to say, I want to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit, I think he still has a first ca- first round caliber talent. I just don't know that I would take him terribly high in that first round due to the risk factor. And that would be because it's concussions, right? That he's he's been dealing with. So that- well, yeah. And there's there's some you know there's also potential that he you know he had some neck issues and that was you know mimicking concussion symptoms and there there are all kinds of different things that but you know it's it would come down to a team being able to get you know the the clearest sense and I mean this is he's one of those players where if he went to the combine got a clean bill of health there that changes the whole dynamic for him right right um but that's not possible this year so 
So that's the other factor. And that's, so it's all these different things that kind of come into play again, when he's been, you know, and, and he just didn't play necessarily all that well when, when he was in the lineup in the queue. So, I mean, that's the other thing that just, you know, gives me pause. And you'd have to think the NHL teams have the resources to be able to reach out and get medical reports that, you know, Correct. you and, and I yeah. don't have access to. So they, they <laughs> yeah. probably have a clearer picture of uh, exactly what the situation is. And anyway, great choice. And, uh, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Uh, Chris, as always, I really appreciate your time. I kept you longer than I said I would. Uh, but thanks for, uh, being the uh, first guest of season 16. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Always, always great to be with you. Chris Peters from ESPN. You know him, you love him, you've heard him on the show many times in the past, always uh, delivering the goods. And uh, you know what I've noticed about now that I've had the conversations with all of these independent scouts, of course, the uh, the guys that were with me on the season finale for season 15 and uh, the folks that you're hearing this week, very little overlap. I've asked everybody for six personal favorites. Outside of two, maybe three guys, there's been no overlap. Everybody has picked different players, which I love. I think that's fantastic. Of course, it means we're talking about different guys, which is great, but also kind of shows me that this draft, it's a bit of a pick 'em. There's, once you get outside the top 10 or 15, and heck, even within that, there's going to be a, a pretty varying degree of opinions on players. I think that makes for an exciting draft. And what's more, even the scouts who have picked some of the big name players, perhaps even top 10 guys, there's a real good argument they're making for why they feel the way they do, whether it's positively or slightly negatively about guys. And I think that's uh, that makes the conversation a lot more fun. So that was Chris Peters from ESPN. Let's get to uh, Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News next. Thankfully, he doesn't give me uh, some names that I really butcher like Chris did. <laughs> Chris is right. Some of the Russian names this year are pretty difficult. But uh, I certainly made a... a, a hack job of uh, of those names. I apologize to those players as if they're going to hear this. But when we come back, Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News with a list of his six personal favorites and one guy that might be a bit of a surprise that he has some concern with. That's next here on the Pipeline Show. Steal by Ryan Suzuki. Put it up center ice. Here's Cole Perfetti. What a chance to win the game. Perfetti backhand. He scores! Cole Perfetti wins it in overtime on a Hey, it's Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand score! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And here he is, having the time of his life. We are back on the Pipeline Show. We'll go from uh, ESPN's Chris Peters to another guest that uh, you've heard on this program a number of times in the past, Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. Uh, welcome back to the program, Ryan. How are things? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate uh, getting to catch up with you once again. And uh, you sent me a list of guys that personal favorites for you and, and one guy you think might be ranked a little too high. And we'll get to those 
uh, in a second. Uh, well, let's start it off with uh, Luke Evangelista. This is a guy that I like a lot too, uh, but he's one of your personal favorites. Tell me why. Well, I like how Luke has embraced the program with the London Knights of the OHL. The first season, he played only 27 games, had two points, but he knew that London is always a stacked team that always has NHL talent. He just had to work hard and listen, and he would get his opportunities. This year, more than a point-per-game player, they had him on scoring lines. They knew they could move him up and down the lineup if need be, but he got some plum rolls with some NHL draft picks. And next season, uh, if it happens the way we anticipate, he'll have an even bigger role on the Knights, and we'll start to see those numbers that we saw from guys like Liam Foody, Connor McMichael, players of that respect. So I like the fact that Evangelista plays the game the right way. He's not super flashy, but he has a lot of talent, and he's, I, I love the buy-in. Uh, how would you describe uh, skating for him? This is a guy I haven't seen a whole lot of personally, so interested to hear stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I would say above average skater. Certainly moves up and down the ice well, and, and he can keep up with all those uh, talented guys on the night. So it, it's definitely not a hindrance, that's for sure. All right, perfect. Well, let's move uh, on to the next guy on the list. Guy played about 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. That's Ethan Edwards uh, of the Alberta Junior Hockey League's Spruce Grove Saints. A uh, defenseman who is uh, off to uh, Michigan uh, to play for the Wolverines eventually, if and when, again, if there's a college hockey season. But uh, when you've seen Ethan Edwards, uh, what stood out for you? Well, it's his skating, number one. First and foremost, he is an incredible skater. I saw him live at the Junior A Top Prospects game, which was in Hamilton, Ontario this year, and he stood out to me. And what I like about Edwards right now and, and why in my mind he's, he's a little bit of a sleeper is he's, he's still very raw um, and I think you know if he could get some USHL experience before he heads to college that's probably the way to go and I know talking to scouts at that game they they had the same sort of thought as I did is that you know this kid has the tools to become something special and if you think about the way the NHL is right now defensemen that can move and have that excellent mobility are at a premium. And Ethan Edwards certainly has that. Um, I'm just, I'm really excited to see where he can go because I think he has that elite trait and he just needs to build upon it. And I, I think he has the capability to do so. Why do you think he should go to the USHL uh, instead of just staying in the AJHL, if not going to college right away? Well, I just think the level of competition in the USHL, it's, it's an older league and it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's tough to put up points and you're, you're going up against uh, a lot of big dudes. Um, to me, I sort of see that as the next step. You know, I, I love the junior A leagues in Canada, uh, particularly, you know, Alberta and BC are kind of the, the creme de la creme, but I, I feel it's good for players to get out of their comfort zone go to a league like the USHL where, you know, there are very few easy games. You know, it's, it's a pretty tight league and uh, you get a lot of older players. So it, it's not easy to put up numbers. And I always point to a guy like Brock Besser, who really excelled in the USHL coming out of Minnesota high school. And to me, it's sort of, if you can make it in the USHL, then you've really proven yourself 
uh, as a future NHLer. All right, fair enough. Uh, now, I, I don't know if he appeared on the Hockey News uh, Top 100 list. Do you recall if uh, Edwards uh, factored in there at all? Yeah, I think he was in the 60s. I, I think he, I kind of had him as a, a sort of on the cusp of our, our top 62. I think he might have been in the sort of 64, 65 range. All right, so late second, early third rounder for you. Uh, I forgot to ask you about that for Evangelista. Do you think he could sneak into the first round? I don't know about the first round, but definitely the second round. I think okay. he has those great tools, yeah. All right. Uh, Zach Ewens plays for uh, Merrimack College. Had a, a guest on earlier who talked about uh, one of his teammates. Uh, but Ewens, who was a, a Canadian uh, playing college hockey down south uh, and had a pretty good year there, uh, and a big defenseman as well, and I, I like that. Uh, a big offensive-minded defenseman like that. Uh, give me a, a bigger picture, though, on what Zach Ewens is all about. Well, Ewens is very intriguing for me because, you know, I, I saw him a bit last year. He played in the OJHL for the Wellington Dukes. And, again, I'm, I'm talking skating here. This is one of those, like, great modern-era rushing defensemen. And he was passed over in the draft last year, I think in part because he did not make Canada East um, World Junior A Challenge team, which to me was a real shame. And I know some other observers in the Ontario Junior A circuit were pretty surprised. He did have a wrist injury that kind of hindered him in the tryouts. But I, I really think, you know, given the paucity of talent on Canada East, he probably should have been there. But he went about his business. Uh, went to Merrimack this year where he was a dynamic player. He really did a lot of good things for the Warriors and, and really elevated some of his uh, teammates with his play. So he is not going to get passed over again. I think this is a player that you're going to see a team probably go for in the third round. And uh, there's probably going to be a couple of other teams kicking themselves uh, that they didn't go a bit earlier. Right. Uh, now, would you have liked to have seen him go to the USHL before going to Merrimack uh, this past season? Well, I mean, it wouldn't have been a bad idea, but uh, he proved that uh, he could contribute right away. I, I would say he was one of Merrimack's most important players. Yeah. Um, having having talked to Northeast scouts, uh, you know, when I was doing my my research on him, they they really thought he he drove a lot, uh, not only on his pairing, but uh, just overall on that squad. So if you can, if you can do it, if you can make it happen, uh, then good on you. And Zach Ewens, I think, proved that uh, he was ready for the NCAA. And, and obviously, Mary Mack, you know, they don't get the necessarily the the big recruiting classes like a Wisconsin or a Boston University. Um, so he had the chance to get in there and make an impact, and, and he took advantage. 18 points in 34 games. Only four of them were goals. So is this a guy that starts the offense from his own end? He's not necessarily the trigger man on the power play? Certainly. He's a guy that, you know, he gets your transition game going. Uh, he can really do some nice playmaking from the blue line. Um, yeah, I, I see him kind of like a Samuel Girard kind of player. Uh, now at 6'2 or so and closing in on 200 pounds, is there a physical dimension to his game? Uh, I don't know if he's that big. He's a... Smaller player, as far as I know, unless he oh, grew okay. quite a bit in the in the past few months. Um, to me, he's more of a a rushing guy. He does have an edge to his game, but uh, to me, that's not going to be his bread and butter. All right, fair enough. I'll uh, curse the website I'm looking at that says six two and 185 pounds. All right, let's move on to uh, Winter Wallace, uh, who is a player I don't know at all and haven't uh, talked much about him 
on the show, but this is a guy who we're starting to get into the deeper cuts for you now as personal favorites. Where do you see a guy like this going in the draft, and, and why do you like him? Well, I would see Winter Wallace as probably somewhere in the fourth round is probably safe. Uh, if a team really liked him, they could go maybe third round. But I had a chance to see him live. He plays for Shattuck St. Mary's, uh, the, the vaunted prep school where Sidney Crosby and Jonathan Taves went. And uh, they had some fun players this year up for the draft. There's, uh, you know, Artem Schlein, uh, Jackson Kuntz, and then David Ma, who's an offensive defenseman. Winter Wallace, he's a Michigan State commit. He's a big kid. And, uh, you know, there's still some rounding out to go in his game, but I just love a guy that can kind of bang and crash and, and still provide some offense. And I, I think, you know, there's still definitely a place in the game for those kind of prospects, uh, even though he's not, you know, lightning quick or anything like that. I, I think that just a, a, a big dude like that um, can really attract some interest from NHL teams. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if teams buy in. I, I don't, I'm not saying he's a sure thing uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there's a lot of potential there because of his size and his physicality, and he does have you know, some offensive skill as well. 50 points in 44 games sounds great. He's only fifth on his team in scoring, though. I mean, you mentioned Artem Schlein and Jackson Kuntz. They, I mean, they had 78 and 69 points. Is there a concern at all that, okay, he was feeding off of some of these other higher-end uh, offensive talents? I think that's something that scouts are going to dive into. I know that, you know, Shaddix, they did have sort of a big line with, with Schlein, Kuntz, and Wallace, but then they also had Wallace on another line or, or Kuntz on another line at times. So they did move guys around, and there were some fantastic youngsters on that lineup as well. Uh, Maddox Fleming and Scott Morrow, uh, guys we're going to see in the next couple of years in the draft. So this was a very good Shaddix team. Um, you know, I had a chance to see them live against St. Andrews College, uh, just north of Toronto, and it, it was a pretty fantastic game. Hmm. So you, you got to do your research. It's very true. If you're an NHL team, you have to see, you know, can Winter Wallace, uh, you know, can he produce for himself? Maybe he is just a complimentary offensive player, uh, but I feel like the other dimensions he brings to the table uh, might spark some interest in some teams. All right. Fair enough. Later round pick, though? Yeah, I would say fourth round and on. Uh, Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News, my guest. Uh, let's get to another guy on your personal favorites list. And I think I've talked to somebody else about uh, Jake Ratzliff as well. Uh, why is uh, he a standout for you? Well, this kid is a phenomenal athlete. And what's really intriguing about him is that he's not only a good hockey player, but he was such a good football player that he actually visited some Big Ten football schools Um to see just to sort of see what was out there. Uh, he's a linebacker and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because as a football player, he is vicious. He is a huge hitter. And, you know, I watched some of his football highlights and he was pretty incredible on the ice. He doesn't necessarily play an overly physical game. Now, part of that is because with Minnesota high school, if you're a big kid and rats laugh, he is, I think he's probably about six to 200 pounds already or somewhere in that range. If he's mowing down kids that are five, seven, 150 pounds, he's going to get a penalty every time. So he has to be cautious about how much he hits, you know, in, in Minnesota high school. Having said that, NHL scouts would like to see him play with a little more snarl on the ice as he does on the gridiron. But in the meantime, 
He loves playing smart defense. Um, as I said, he's an athlete, so you know he can move. Uh, you know, I interviewed him earlier in the year. Uh, he liked Nick Lidstrom when he was playing. Uh, he also looks at Ryan McDonough um, for that sort of complete game where you're using your stick and you're, you're being a good two-way defenseman. Uh, Ratzlav is committed to the University of Minnesota uh, for hockey. And uh, he has played some USHL games for Muskegon already, which was a good sign for NHL scouts because, you know, you, you want to make sure that you don't draft a kid that ends up in the NFL instead of the NHL. Right. Uh, but it feels like, it feels like he's uh, probably going to go back to Muskegon before he heads to the NCAA. And that'll be good because then he'll really be concentrating on his mission of getting to the next level. I think he was also captain at his high school team this past season as well, so maybe speaks to some uh, some leadership qualities too. Certainly, yes, yeah, certainly. And that Rosemount team was uh, pretty intriguing. That's a, a program that doesn't have a lot of history of success, and they did pretty well this year. Uh, they had a, a couple of nice players, but I think Jake Ratzlaff is most likely to get drafted. All right, and where do you expect a guy like that to go? Well, he could be a kind of all over the board because if you really like him, he has the the skill set to be maybe even a second rounder. But if teams are a little scared off by the lack of physicality uh, and the fact that football might still be in the picture, I could certainly see him sliding into the latter half of the draft uh, because you are projecting a lot here. So yeah. I think there's a really wide range of when he can go. Uh, last guy on your uh, personal favorites list is a, a player I don't know anything about, Timofey Spitsarov, uh, who comes over from uh, Russia, and uh, I know he's headed to uh, college eventually. I think UMass is his uh, college choice uh, for destination of choice. Um, but uh, tell me about him as a player. I, I, he's been playing in North America for the last three or four years, has he not? Yeah, and he plays for Culver Academy, uh, which is in Indiana. It's where John Michael Lyles went. and I love the tenacity of this kid. Uh, I love his motor. I think he has a lot of high-end elements to his offensive game. Um, the question really is, how good was his season? Because Culver Academy uh, was not a great team. You know, they would play the likes of Shaddix and St. Andrews, that, that sort of prep school circuit. They would play teams from New England. Uh, they wouldn't necessarily come out on top in a lot of those games. Other than Spitzeroff, they didn't have any high-end guys. Uh, but you're right, he is committed to UMass. And again, this is a player where you know, you're going to want to see him in the USHL first uh, before he heads off to the Minutemen. But I, I just can't help but thinking that there's something there. And it's kind of funny talking to NHL scouts. Uh, even some of them didn't really have a, a book on him uh, simply because of the quality of competition uh, that he was faced with. You know, he was kind of uh, outgunned in a lot of the games he was playing. So it was a bit of hard to get a beat on him. But I, I really like the elements of his game. And I, I think he's the type of player that if you took a flyer on him in the sixth or seventh round, he could end up being a real steal. Uh, guy, I just looked up the, his team stats. He had 30 more points than anybody else on his team. Uh, it says he was the leader of, by far there. And I think it was his third year at Culver. So I like the, that he's already shown a... Uh, uh, dedication to playing in North America too. Sometimes uh, you, uh, it's that classic Russian factor. What do you do? But a guy who's uh, put in that much time over here already, maybe that eases the mind a bit. Exactly. Yeah. And I think he had 49 goals in 40 games. Um, you know, Culver, 
you know, like I said, they, they produce players in the past, but it's, it's not necessarily at the same level as like a Shattuck St. Mary's, for right. example. So I, I think, you, you know, you like the commitment that he's shown already and the fact that he does want to play NCAA hockey tells you that, you know, this is not a flash in the pan thing. Like he's going to have to finish high school. He's going to have to, you know, qualify to go to UMass. And so he has to put the work in. And then obviously he has to be great on the ice as well. Cause they're, they put together a really nice program there at UMass in the past few years. All right, so I asked everybody for six uh, personal favorites, and then one guy that they expect will be taken in the draft probably sooner than uh, you particularly would be comfortable uh, taking a said player. It doesn't mean you don't like the player at all or that you would refuse to draft him, but uh, that he's going to go earlier than you would take him. Uh, and for you, that player is Emil Vero, uh, the uh, Finnish uh, defenseman. Uh, why is that? Well, I feel like there might be some sort of anchor bias uh, with some pundits out there because Vero showed well at the Holinka Gretzky tournament at the beginning of the year. You know, there was some folks that even saying like maybe he's the next Miro Heskinen uh, based on the way that he skates. But when I talk to my scouts uh, who are based in Finland, they kind of wanted to rein that in a bit and say, look, like this kid's not Heskinen right now. Um, yes, he is mobile, but you know, he's not very good right now at how, as they put it, solving problems on the blue line. Um, so, you know, I, I've seen him ranked, you know, almost in the first round, uh, by some folks. And I just feel like you kind of need to pump the brakes and say, you know, there might be something good here. And he, he has already played games, uh, in Finland's top league, the Liga with men, but let's give this kid a little more time and, and and put things into perspective that he really still has to develop a lot before he becomes that kind of A-grade prospect that I think a lot of people might have seen, you know, in the fall, almost a year ago. Um, you you got to look at the whole year. And I think that's why I, I kind of pump the brakes a bit and say, you know, to me, he's probably more of a third rounder. And you go from there. Let's not like overhype this kid uh, simply because of the the nice tournament he had to to begin the year. Do you think some of the high uh, highly toutedness uh, comes from uh, 29 games in the Liga this year? Um, I mean that that does stand out on a sheet when you're comparing them to a lot of guys who only played junior. Yeah, exactly. And like I say, I mean you got to give the credit to the kid for for hanging uh, with TPS at the top level. Uh, didn't produce a lot of offense, well, either in junior or with the the men this year, um, and that's fine. You know, when you're that age, when you're a teenager, you're pretty much hanging on for dear life, and and that goes for you know more than Vero. Uh, you know, there were a, a couple of Finnish teenagers that were in that situation this year where they did get called up to the big club, and you probably play a little more safe than you usually would because you don't want to screw up on the big stage, right. but you know, Finland has been really good about bringing kids up uh, as teenagers in the past few years. And maybe they're looking at all the success that Sweden has had doing the same. So the opportunities are there. Um, but again, it's just, you got to keep it in the perspective that it's a long game here. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you want to make sure that these kids get the development time necessary. And again, I mean, it's, it's probably not going to be a problem this year because a lot of Europeans are going to stay home anyways. Uh, but if Vero plays another 
year, maybe another couple of years back home in Finland and continues to get a nice role, then yeah, he could develop into something nice. Uh, but I just, I, I feel like we, we got to make sure that we don't overhype some of these kids too much. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Ryan, thanks for all of that. Before I let you go, uh, what's your level of optimism for a, a CHL or just junior hockey in general, whether it's USHL or junior A in Canada and college hockey this year? Do you, do you think eventually we get to a season when, how, how optimistic are you with that? I would say I'm, I'm kind of in the middle right now. I almost wonder if we're going to see hockey in some areas and not others. You know, we know that the Quebec League is is already talking about training camp September 1st and starting the season October 1st. And, you know, they have the advantage of, of no American teams. So there's no border crossings. Uh, Atlantic Canada has very little coronavirus. You know, they really stamped it out early. So that's a positive. And I know they're limiting travel. Um, you know, I was talking to uh, a WHL exec the other day, and, and he was – he was skeptical because there's so many different hoops to jump through. You have different provincial governments, you have different state governments, you know, because you have the U.S. division there. Uh, situation is probably going to be similar in the OHL because, you know, you have teams in Michigan and Pennsylvania along with Ontario. Um, how's it going to work? Uh, how's travel going to work? What's the schedule? You know, what do you do about billets and imports? And, you know, I think school is probably going to be online. Uh, for most kids. So you got that sorted out, but there's a lot to figure out. And I know that, you know, WHL commissioner Ron Robinson said, if they can't have 50% of the arenas filled Mm -hmm. uh, financially, it just doesn't work. So that's going to be a big hoop to jump through as well. And what do you do in a place like Swift Current where they have less than 3000 seats and they kind of need most of them filled to make a go of it anyways. I mean, 1400 is probably not going to cut it. Yeah, lots of hurdles to clear, that's for sure. Uh, hopefully sooner uh, as opposed to later, but yeah. Uh, my uh, level of optimism is not very high, put it that way. Fair enough. Ryan, I really appreciate your time. Good to chat again, and uh, let's do it again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, see you later. Stay safe. You. Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. It had been a while since I had uh, Ryan on the program, so good to catch up with him, and I like his list. Some guys we haven't uh, talked about uh, in recent months, uh, here on the Pipeline Show, including uh, Luke Evangelista. Uh, how about uh, Zach Ewens? We just uh, heard from Chris Peters about his teammate, but now we get the uh, other side of that uh, defensive blue line there at Merrimack. Ethan Edwards, who came up on the Season 15 finale, gets another shout-out. And i got to tell you, after hearing uh, Ryan talk about him, Winter Wallace is a guy that uh, intrigues me a bit more, and uh, perhaps I, somebody i got to track down to get on the show. That's one of the things I love about this type of program when I have guests like this is I learn about new players. I'm only one person, and uh, as I've mentioned several times before, I'm not a scout. It's not like I'm uh, traveling across North America and into Europe, and I don't have an unlimited budget like that. I can't subscribe to all the online feeds for games. I'm only one person, so uh, it's great when uh, other people with inside knowledge are able to introduce me and uh, put players on my radar. I love it. That's what I love about guests like uh, Ryan Kennedy and some of the other guys that you're going to hear uh, on this week's show, including my next guest. That's Larry Fisher from Future Considerations and the Hockey Writers. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show. Now off the bench because Pelche, he's going to burst to speed. Pelche, he's Jacob Pelche 
This is Jacob Oti of the Moncton Wildcats and you're listening to Pipeline Choke. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week has a lot of character, but tell us about it. The Pesky Pig Pale Ale. Named after the little piggy that never went to the market, this super approachable pale ale has all kinds of citrus flavors, including huge grapefruit note. Player comparable, Matthew Kachuk. Always in the mix, and no matter what, you'd rather him on your team. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. That's Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Yes! That's awesome! Back on the Pipeline Show with Keith Fleming. Let's continue on with our uh, 2020 draft preview as we uh, chat with uh, a number of independent scouts to uh, share their thoughts on uh, some of their own personal favorites and uh, maybe a guy or two that they think is uh, getting a little bit overhyped. Uh, and next up is uh, Larry Fisher, who's been on the show many times in the past. Larry, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing good, Keith. Thanks for having me on again. It's always a uh... Fun coming on the Pipeline Show and talking hockey, especially talking prospects. And with the extended draft year, we got uh, that yeah. many more episodes that uh, we can talk 2020 draft class. So it's exciting. Uh, no kidding. Uh, and I want to uh, give you the uh, appropriate uh, affiliation. So uh, what are you doing these days? Because I know you've been attached to a, a few different outlets. So who are you with? Yeah, so I'm still scouting as a WHL regional scout with FC Hockey, Future Considerations. And we just did a, a rebrand, a relaunch sort of this summer. Uh, which is really exciting, the the new website and then all the features there at FC Hockey. So I'm still mm-hmm. scouting for FC Hockey as well as the hockey writers where I'm sort of uh, one of the head scouts. Myself and Josh Bell are sort of heading up uh, a lot of the prospects and mock drafts and rankings, that sort of stuff. So still active with the hockey writers. And then I have a new gig uh, with UFF Sports, which is a tech startup company. And we're doing uh, taking basically draft and prospects and stuff, and we're putting it all on on the blockchain and turning it into fantasy sports, which nobody's really done before the fantasy scouting. So that's kind of my main gig these days is the UFF sports role, but I'm certainly still an, an active scout myself. Well, I uh, asked all my guests this week uh, to give me a list of six of their personal favorites and maybe a guy or two that uh, they think is overhyped a bit. And, uh, well, you came through. You gave me a list of, like, 15 guys that are on your personal favorites list. So you left it up to me to narrow it down a bit. Uh, so let's start with Justin Barron because interesting story with him because of the blood clot issue that he had earlier this season. He missed uh, so much time. But coming into the year, he was so highly touted. And it doesn't seem to affect uh, the ranking for him uh, all that highly. So uh, tell me what you like about Justin Barron, and do you have any concerns? Yeah, I think the... The reality with Justin Barron, like you said, is he missed a large portion of his draft year because of the blood clot. And a lot of people didn't love his start to the draft year, even prior to that. But he was on a, Halifax was rebuilding this year. They hosted the Memorial Cup last season. And, and, and he was such a, a standout on that Memorial Cup team at such a young age and such a big part of Hockey Canada. He would have had a role at the World Juniors, no doubt. And, uh, and certainly he's, he's shone on the international stage for Hockey Canada in the past, which is why I had him in my preseason rankings, right there with Jamie Drysdale as the top defenseman in the 2020 draft class. I had Drysdale at 10, Barron at 11, and then I had Jake Sanderson with my third highest defenseman heading into this draft year at 22. 
And basically what happened over the course of the draft year is Drysdale moved up to number five. Jake Sanderson jumped over Justin Barron and sort of took his spot at number nine. And Justin Barron sort of dropped back into Jake Sanderson's spot at number 21. But with Barron, I think uh, in sports, they always say you don't lose your lineup spot or you don't lose your job to injury. And I kind of looked at Justin Barron that way as far as the scouting the 2020 draft class, just because I feel he didn't forget how to play hockey. He had a kind of a fluky thing or a strange incident with the blood clot. And I think he's going to have such a huge bounce back year next season when he's healthy again. So uh, he didn't drop as much. I know some people have dropped him into the second or third round. For me, I like him just outside that. I have a 9 to 20 tier, and he's the first name in my uh, sort of first round bubble tier at 21. But I certainly like the player and like what we've seen from him in years past and and the pedigree he brings despite missing uh, a large chunk of his draft year. I remember when he played for Canada at the Holinka Gretzky Cup here in Edmonton as an underage guy, and I thought he he didn't look out of place at all. I I was really impressed with him there. Yeah, and the summer showcase as well. He played in that World Junior Summer Showcase uh, prior to his draft year, and, and he was a standout for Canada at that as well. And I think I look at him as a guy, he reminds me a lot of Thomas Chabot from, uh, Chabot from Ottawa, but also maybe a, a bigger Ryan Ellis. I think he can be that kind of impact player in the NHL, certainly a top four defenseman, and and sort of a potential to be a tweener as whether or not he's a, a top pairing guy. So I'm a big Justin Barron fan. I know he missed a lot of his draft year, but I, I don't mm-hmm. think he forgot how to play hockey. And I think when he gets back into a groove and gets up to speed, that lost development time, he was so far ahead of some of the other defensemen that I think he'll catch up quite quickly. And, and I don't know if he'll rival Drysdale and, and Sanderson as the top two defensemen in this draft class. But for me, he's uh, number three and he's right in that conversation still. All right, let's go to Jan Mishak, who played in uh, in Hamilton. Well, in the second half of the season, he came over after the World Junior Championship, uh, where he played for the Czech Republic. It's to me, it's interesting how you compare where he was playing before Christmas with men in the Czech Republic to the OHL in the second half, where he had he was more than a point per game player. I'm I'm interested on in how everybody feels about Jan Mishak. So tell me about him. What kind of impression he made on you? Yeah, Jan Mishak's a pretty polarizing prospect because he's not super big, he's not super fast, but in my opinion, he's got great offensive instincts, and he, I think he's got an underrated shot. I think he's one of the underrated scorers in this draft class. I, I didn't love Jan Mishak at the Holinka tournament uh, last summer. I, I'm not even willing to say he was the best player on the Czech Republic roster. Might be the next uh, guy we're talking about. Might have outshone him on, on that stage, but Certainly Jan Mishak, in my opinion, uh, and then started off with the men, and, and that's obviously a anytime you're a junior-aged kid or a draft-eligible kid playing with men, we see it with Lucas Raymond in Sweden and, and everybody else. It's it's a big jump, and it's it's men against boys, right? They're a boy among men. Uh, and then when you put him in with his age group uh, in the OHL, and especially to have to come overseas after the World Juniors, he was really good at the World Juniors. He impressed there. He scored a really nice goal on Yaroslav. Askarov against Russia, but he, he was better at the World Juniors than he was at the Holinka, and so that bumped him up in some rankings, and I think his OHL stretch run showed that, hey, I'm right here with the, the best of the best in this age group. Once you see me playing against my peers, I can you know be a first-round talent, and in my opinion, I have, I have him at number 14, and I think he's a, a top 15 talent, mainly because I think his goal scoring is being underrated. And do you think if he'd played the entire year in the OHL that everybody else would like him as much as you do, too? The OHL was such a high-scoring league this year that um, I don't know where he would have fit in with some of the guys like Perfetti and, and Rossi and some of these. If he had the full season, how close he could have come to some of these high-scoring, uh, Jack Quinn being another 
guys that are, are, you know, more so expected to be top 10 picks or certainly top 15 picks. And, and yeah, and my Shack is just sort of a cut below those names we're throwing out. Like I have him uh, right there with Jack Quinn who scored 52 goals in the OHL. Would Jan Myshek have scored 50 goals this season in the OHL? I'm not sure. I, I don't know if he's quite at that level. So it, it is interesting what he what his stat line would have looked like if he played a full season in the OHL. But again, we have to remember those other kids grew up in Ontario. They grew up in Canada. They didn't have the, the adjustment of coming overseas and playing, although he hit the ground running. But what would have happened if he came in September or October? Uh, it, it's hard to say how that would have impacted his draft stock, but I don't think his stock was going up playing with men, so it was the right decision. He he got a boost from the World Juniors, and when he arrived in the OHL, that was the right decision, and the fact he hit the ground running, I think uh, teams will take notice of that, despite the fact the OHL was so high scoring, and a lot of those totals are inflated. Larry Fisher's my guest, writes for uh, the hockey writers, scouts for them too, as, does, uh, as he does for future considerations. Uh, let's go to Pavel Novak in your backyard uh, in Kelowna with the Rockets, but he is the the other Czech player you're referring to uh, from the Holinka Gretzky Cup uh, last summer. Um, now you see a, a ton of this guy, so you're the perfect person to give us all the inside scoop uh, about Pavel Novak. Again, a bit polarizing because he's not overly big and he's not overly fast and he's not the nicest skater, but what Pavel Novak does is he shows up on the score sheet consistently. He didn't have a, a lot to work with in Kelowna this season. You know, Nolan Foote was here, but um, other than that, Kelowna was an offensively challenged team and they needed somebody to step up on a, on a nightly basis, consistent basis and, and produce offense. And Pavel Novak as a, again, a, an import who's new to North America, another guy who really hit the ground running and, and basically contributed at a point per game uh, for Kelowna throughout uh, the season and, and seemed to be getting better as the season went along as well and, and more confident and more, he's took more assertiveness with the puck as far as, uh, calling his own number on the power play to shoot. And, and and he is very good on the power play. That's one thing about Pavel Novak is he's a, I don't want to call him a power play specialist, but he's a big-time contributor on the power play, both as a playmaker and, and as well as a shooter. And like you said, he's a guy that I personally probably liked uh, more, more so at the Halinka than Jan Myshak. And maybe that's because I was watching Pavel Novak closer, knowing he was coming to Kelowna as a CHL import draft pick. But certainly Pavel Novak made a strong impression at the Halinka. And the fact that Kelowna struggled to score all season and he was the guy who led the way and was sort of the straw that stirred the drink offensively for Kelowna. And he's a kid who kind of fades sometimes. You don't notice him from shift to shift or period to period. But at the end of the game, he's always there on the score sheet. He, he's an offensive catalyst. He finds a way to contribute almost on a nightly basis. So uh, a great debut for him in North America. I have him ranked 59th right at the end of the second round. I could see him sliding into that third, even fourth round based on the concerns I mentioned. But for me, Pavel Novak, like you said, a, a kid I've seen more than any other draft eligible this season. And, and he impressed me, and I think he's got the skill set to be a Thomas Tatar-type player in the NHL. All right, we'll watch for that. Now, uh, I don't know a whole lot about Yoni Yermo, the uh, uh, Finnish defenseman, but lots of size there. And uh, I know that uh, I think a lot of people have him as potentially a second-round pick, maybe third-rounder. Uh, what about for you? Yeah, so Yoni Irmo is one of my boys this year, and he has been since probably November. I've had him in the first round uh, at 30th overall, which is probably, like I said, probably 20 to 30 spots higher than the consolidated rankings or the average ranking for Yoni Irmo. The thing with him is the skating. He is uh, an elite skater, and he reminds me, his skating and his offensive instincts, he's he's very raw prospect. He's not very polished. He's got a, a long way to go, but 
his upside is is right up there with the top defenseman in this draft class, in my opinion, as far as uh, the elite skating, which is on a whole other level from most of the defense prospects in this draft. And just, I think the offense is there. I think it just needs to, he'll be coached and developed. And once an NHL team gets their hands on him at a development camp and a, a rookie camp, I think Yoni Yermo is a guy who can take, improve by leaps and bounds and really outplay his draft position, assuming he doesn't go in the first round where I have him ranked. But I'm a huge fan of him and his, his playing style and some of his raw tools. He hasn't had as much exposure, but he reminds me a lot of, I, I would be tempted to say he's this year's Philip Broberg who Edmonton Oilers fans know well. He had a strong showing at the at the bubble camp or at the training camp prior to the return to play for the NHL. Philip Robert did, but I see a lot of similarities in Yoni Yermo, just how powerful he is as a skater and, and the way he likes to rush the puck and be a, a bit of an offensive catalyst from the back end. Although he is raw in that sense, he didn't put up many numbers, and I think that will come. But comparatively, I think Philip Robert's the name I throw out, and we can throw out another former Oiler, uh, defenseman Yoni Pikkinen, who uh, was a Finnish guy with the same first name. I think there's some similarities between Yoni Yermo and Yoni Pikkinen as far as, the, the, again, the powerful explosive skating and, and some of the offensive instincts that I think are coming in Yermo, and we'll see it uh, hopefully in his draft plus one season, but certainly when he gets to the NHL. Excellent. I appreciate the, the rundown on him because it's not a name that's come up on the show from anyone else uh, this year, so I appreciate that. Uh, now, Mitchell Miller is an interesting case, uh, and he's on your personal favorites list. Uh, tell me why. So he's a, another guy that uh, he had some off-ice stuff when he was younger that uh, brought his character into question a little bit. But on the ice, all I see, and uh, you've seen it at the World Junior A Challenge at, at Christmas time, uh, even going back to the Holinka uh, in the summer, he was one of the better defenders for Team USA there. But in my opinion, the USHL has been producing a lot of really good defensemen in that third-round range. Uh, Jordan Harris, a third rounder for Montreal. Zachary Jones last year uh, in 2019 was a third rounder for the New York Rangers. Those type of defensemen, and I think Mitch Miller is that guy. So I'm at 78, kind of right around that 75 range in the third round. But he's a kid that uh, he he does everything well. He reminds me a lot of Jordan Harris because he's not a huge offensive defenseman, but he can contribute offensively, and he's a really good kind of defender as well. Uh, he's a good 200-foot defenseman. So I like uh, a lot about Mitch Miller, and he just when I watch him, I see a kid who's going to be a professional hockey player. I see him as a, a kid who's going to develop into a, a real good pro over the next two, three years in college. And I think uh, whoever gets him, if, if, he, if he goes into that third-round range, I think uh, team's going to be really happy with their investment in drafting Mitchell Miller. Now, you mentioned the off-ice stuff. Does that factor in at all for you, or are you just uh, assessing and rating on based on what you see on the ice? Yeah, it was sort of a hazing bullying incident uh, in school, which, you know, a lot of people go through that at 13, 14 years old. He was, that was a couple of years ago. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he's a more mature kid nowadays. And that was a learning experience for him. And again, I'm going on what I've seen on the ice, which is primarily during his draft year. I didn't view too much of Mitch Miller prior to the draft year. And primarily for me, I, I seen him a couple times in the USHL, but certainly at the international showcases and, he caught my eye every time, and as a as a guy that might be one of the top American-born defensemen after Jake Sanderson in this draft class, I think we could see guys like Mitch Miller and Brock Faber really, you know, emerge. Even if they're third-round picks, emerge as some of the better. Again, not super big defensemen, kind of on the smaller side, but modern-day defensemen, puck-moving defensemen who defend well. Still, so I don't want to say Josh Morrissey, but you know that type of defenseman where. Uh, they might not have a huge amount of offense, but they can contribute offensively and certainly play uh, uh, 
equally well in their own zone. Larry, I think you're the first guy to give me a goalie on their list of uh, personal favorites. Uh, Dylan Garand is yours uh, from the Kamloops Blazers, another guy you would have seen a lot this year. Of the goalies available out of the WHL, is he the top one for you? He is, and he's not overly big, but I think Dylan Garand, is. he's got two things going for him. One is the athletic ability because he's a fitness freak and he's extremely devoted to his craft and he's very big into off-ice fitness and training. He did, he had really good results at the CHL prospect game. He tested among the best there as a goaltender. And the other thing is is his smarts. He's the scholastic player of the year, I believe, for the CHL, certainly for the WHL. So he's a very uh, determined, motivated kid. And I think whatever he sets his mind to, Dylan Grant tends to accomplish. And, and certainly his mental toughness shows in the WHL as well. I've seen him uh, real, again, Kelowna Kamloops rivalry. I've seen Dylan Grand a lot. He, he played in the uh, playoffs tiebreaker type game against Kelowna the, the year before as well when he was paired with the NHL drafted Dylan Ferguson. And sort of Dylan Grand, it's been a bit of a goaltending pipeline or factory there in Kamloops uh, as far as Connor Ingram and Dylan Ferguson. Now Dylan Grand, they have the uh, another young goaltender, Ernst. I believe his name is Dylan Ernst as well on the way. So a bit of a goaltending factory there in, in Kamloops. Uh, and Dylan Grant's the latest product, but he's not overly big. So, again, the size thing is why he might slide a bit in the NHL draft. But I think the competitiveness on and off the ice as far as scholastic and fitness will contribute to him being motivated and determined to, to make the NHL, kind of like we're seeing with Dustin Wolf as well in Everett. So yeah. he was a seventh-round pick. He's already signed by the Calgary Flames. I think Dylan Grant is that level of goaltender. He backed up Tristan Lennox at the Holinka two years ago. But uh, I think Dylan Grand, or this past year, but I think Dylan Grand is definitely a goaltender who, because he's so motivated and, and accomplishes so much off the ice, I think he, when he, he's putting that towards his on-ice improvement as well, and I think he's going to continually get better. And he's, get, he's three to five years away from being an NHL goaltender, but could he be Stuart Skinner or better? Certainly, I think, uh, something along those lines. Larry Fisher from the Hockey Writers and Future Considerations, my guest. Uh, let's get to the couple of guys that uh, you have some con- a level of concern with, not necessarily that you would not draft them at all, uh, or you can tell me if that's the case. But let's start with Antonio Strangis from the London Knights. Didn't have a big offensive year, and that's this is year two for him with London. I know that's uh, the concern I have. Uh, what concerns you? Yeah, he's got all the skill in the world, right? You watch him, you see that 10-2 and two skating technique, you can YouTube his shootout moves, his deking ability, his puck handling ability. He's a very impressive prospect. He's got all the tools, but whether it's the toolbox or what, uh, it was surprising and disappointing his draft year production when you look at Perfetti and Rossi and Quinn and some of these guys that really took that step in their draft year, and, and the offense was there to be had in the OHL, and Antonio Strange just never got to that next level as far as production goes, and he sort of reminds me in some ways of, of Robbie Shrimp, that type of player. Uh, uh, again, real high-end offensive skill, but can he factor into, can he translate that to production and to being a consistent producer at the NHL level? He, I started him off in the draft year at 14th overall in my preseason ranking. So, I mean, I had him as a top 20 talent, again, based on that skill set, but it just never translated to consistent production. And he his role was diminished as well. And Dale Hunter obviously runs a very NHL-type system and, and program there in London with the Knights. And for him to almost fall down the depth chart during his draft year from where he left off the previous season when there was a lot of hype about Antonio Strangis, I just think his draft year has really been a setback. But could he become a Anthony Duclair-type player who was a, a third-round pick 
uh, and had some similar concerns in junior. I do see similarities there with Anthony Duclair and Antonio Stranger. So potentially he could become an NHL player because he's got the skill set, he's got the tools, he has all the skill in the world, but he hasn't translated it to production, and that's why I would be reluctant to take a chance on Antonio Stranger in the top two rounds. Seventh on his team in scoring, and uh, all the guys ahead of him had more than 20 points. Uh, more than him, uh, going all the way up to Connor McMichael, who was over 100 points, but only 40 uh, is a bit of a red flag for me. Now, you gave me a bonus player as well, Will Cooley, uh, from the Windsor Spitfires, who, boy, at the start of the season, there was lots of hype for this guy because he's got the size and uh, had a good uh, uh, Holinka Gretzky Cup as well, I believe, uh, and then things just kind of stalled for him. How come? Yeah, that Windsor team wasn't really good, and he didn't necessarily have a, a playmaker to set him up, but he's a shooter, and he's a bit of a shooter, but he's a power forward, right? He get, he gets the Tom Wilson label. He's sort of the next Tom Wilson is what people want to say. He plays that Tom Wilson power forward uh, style. So I think uh, with the right line mates, Will Cooley may have had a much more productive draft year. Uh, Jean-Luc Foudy, another kid in, in Windsor who's fallen down my personal rankings quite a bit throughout the draft year, both Foodie and Cooley, because the production wasn't there again. And you watch Will Cooley, you said at the – Halinka, and he was really good. He looked like a power forward in the making, a budding power forward at the the Halinka. But again, skating concerns a little bit. He's got heavy feet. He's not a, a real quick player. Uh, Tom Wilson skates a lot better than Will Cooley. Uh, Tom Wilson gets around the ice quite well. Uh, is he more like a Milan Lucic? Again, he's got he can fight for sure. He's uh, he's one of the toughest players as we saw. Uh, he had a scrap in the CHL Top Prospects game, but he's one of the more feared or intimidating guys in the OHL. So he does have the, some of Tom, Tom Wilson's intangibles uh, with Will Cooley. But for me, I just I tend to look at upside, and, and I see the power forward there, but I see a, a kind of a question mark, I guess you could say, with Will Cooley. There's a lot of players in my personal rankings that if it was me drafting, I would take them over Will Cooley, and that's why he fell all the way down into my fourth round at 115. But again, perhaps that's punishing him too much based on uh, – didn't have the supporting cast, didn't have the line mates to really let his skills shine as far as the goal scoring goes. All right, lastly, Larry, and I appreciate the rundown on all those players. I'm asking my guests this week just their level of optimism for the uh, uh, WHL or the uh, just the Canadian hockey, heck, junior hockey in general, uh, whatever league on either side of the border, uh, or a college hockey. Do you think we see hockey this year? Oh, it's tough to say. I mean, I, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I, it would be no fun to not be in the rink all winter. Uh, it, it's fun watching NHL hockey in the summer, I have to admit, but it, it wouldn't be fun to be sitting out uh, the winter. And certainly for these draft-eligible kids in the 2021 draft class, there's so much uncertainty for them, and when are they going to get going? And yeah. So uh, December is the, the target date now, as you know, and I'm hopeful, but, I mean, the COVID cases are going up uh, by the day here in BC, so I don't know if we're getting any closer to having the ability to start playing hockey again, that's for sure. So, and the CFL canceled their season. So it, it, it'll be a wait and see, I guess. But I, I'm trying to stay optimistic, but I'm not uh, I'm not sure how that's going to play out, to be honest. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. Uh, Larry, great to catch up with you once again. Uh, thanks for doing this. We'll talk soon. Stay safe. Yeah, same to you. Thanks, Keith. Old friend of the Pipeline Show, that's Larry Fisher, who used to be in Lloydminster, Alberta, covering the uh, Lloyd Bobcats. That's back when... Uh, he uh, first joined us as a uh, a contributor here on the program. Boy, that's got to be 10 years ago now, if not more. Uh, but he's been in Kelowna for the last uh, number of years and uh, is 
Always a guy who uh, loves the draft and puts out his own extensive list too. I'm sure if you go to his Twitter feed, you'll find that. And I mentioned it when I asked everybody for a list of six guys, he seriously gave me a list of 14 or 15 names. And I, I just picked out six guys that I wanted to talk about. Justin Barron for one, because of the whole blood clot situation to me is a bit of a, a draft day, a wild card. I wanted to get his thoughts on Yan Mishak. What if he had played the entire season in the OHL instead of coming over just after the world junior? Obviously he's in uh, Kelowna. So gets a, a real good read on Pavel Novak, Dylan Garand, the, uh, out of the WHL, uh, and just wanted to know is you know is he the top goalie out of the dub in Larry's mind, and then a couple of euros or sorry just the one euro in a Yoni Yermo who I knew nothing about, and then uh, Mitch Miller who again if uh, if you remember one of the final episodes of uh, season 15 I had actually recorded an interview with uh, Mr. Miller, uh, but held back on it because afterwards I had heard some uh, well what you heard Larry mention about some off ice issues. Uh, Larry called it bullying, which happened uh, about uh, three, four years ago. Uh, and I didn't actually air that interview because I wanted to give Mitchell Miller a chance to address what happened. Um, so again, I reached out to Mitchell the day after and uh, told him that. I didn't hear from him and did not hear from his agent either. Still haven't heard from either one. So I, I'm not going to play that interview until I can uh, offer a complete picture of that story because it is an incident that uh, bothers me as a parent of a special needs kid. And I know it's something NHL teams are aware of that would have uh, asked him about it. And so I thought it uh, needed to be asked uh, with Mitchell Miller and uh, that hasn't happened yet. Could, uh, but until if, and when it does, then I'll share that interview again. But uh, that was why I picked that name off of uh, Larry's list to talk about to see if it uh, was a factor for Larry or not. And then we got into a couple of guys that uh, Larry has, you know, pumps the brakes on a little bit with Antonio Strangis and uh, Will Cooley. As always, you can let me know what you think of uh, what my guests are saying and their opinions and what I've said as well. You can follow me on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy if you're not following me already. If you are listening and enjoy the Pipeline show, you might as well follow me because it's basically all I talk about on Twitter. I don't really get all that political, you know, some personal stuff here and there. But I try to keep my uh, politics uh, out of it because I think uh, what we've seen in North America, not just in the States, but here in Canada too, is uh, a pretty healthy divide between uh, where you are on the political spectrum. And I just want to talk hockey on the show. So at TPS underscore Guy is where you can get me on Twitter. One segment left to go. Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects is my guest. It, it's a lengthy one. He goes in-depth on uh, on the players on his list. It's a terrific segment. I know you're going to enjoy it. And that wraps up the Season 16 premiere next here on the Pipeline Show. Up down to DeBrus. Gains a Tiger line. Shoots. Scored! Jake DeBrus does it again in overtime. Hey, it's Jake DeBrus with the Swift Current Broncos, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with. 
and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. Final segment to go on this week's uh, Season 16 premiere episode of the Pipeline Show. And uh, we're going to continue on uh, talking with a uh, another independent scout ahead uh, of the 2020 draft. And uh, Cam Robinson of uh, Dauber Prospects. I've been uh, trying to get a hold of him uh, for uh, a number of months now, actually. And uh, I'm pleased to have finally tracked him down. Cam, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing well, yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on, and uh, like you, I'm I'm happy that we could finally work it out and and have a chat here. Now I mentioned Dauber Prospects, but you're also uh, connected with Elite Prospects as well with the scouting that goes on there. Uh, how does that work when you're trying to balance two? Uh, it's it's it can be challenging at times. Uh, so I, I like you said, I manage Dauber Prospects, which we've we have a fantasy hockey line of, of things and since i've taken over we've been nudging more towards traditional scouting and uh, i'm really pleased with the direction that it's gone there and now uh, yoki nevalainen and tony ferrari have been heading up our new kind of official scouting arm mm. and because i i'm running the the film scouting at elite prospects i've distanced myself from that so that there's not any any overlap in, in that sort of sense but i oh, do gotcha. i oversee everything so i do have a, a little bit of a, a you know hand in in all the comings and goings but uh, the majority Majority of my my pure scouting happens with elite prospects and EP ringside. Okay, very good. Uh, and I, and you mentioned with elite, you do a ton of video stuff. Is that difficult to do? And you know, I mean, you go to the games obviously as well. What's what's easier? What gives a more complete picture for a scout? The video or the in person? Or do they go hand in hand? I, I do. I as a as a film scout, uh, I do feel that there is uh, a lot to be gained, obviously, from having having the the access to all the tape that we have nowadays. That it's it's pretty incredible that you can you know pause, rewind, fast forward, go back, watch a play over and over again. Where in house you don't have that ability, obviously. Um, but there is some things that you cannot get when you're not in the building. So mm-hmm. you know, watching plays develop behind the play, uh, seeing reactions from coaching staffs on the bench for players' frustration or glee. Um, how a player maybe if they if they give up the puck uh, and they don't get back hard, you know what's their body language and, and sometimes that doesn't it isn't always captured on video. Um, also, if you're not in house, you don't have the opportunity to go down to the room and chat with some of the players, talk with the coaches, the trainers, and, and try to get an indication of how these how these youngsters are as people. Uh, so in that sense, I have to rely on on some of these more experienced scouts that are in house. Um, so, but with with the pandemic obviously happening, is that a lot of organizations both on the public side and and on the team side have had to I don't want to say scramble but have had to try to to condition some of their in-house scouts to learn how to work tape and it's it's not an easy transition so for me it's it's that that's uh, given me a bit of a leg up during this crazy time is that you know I've, I've obviously you know, have some understanding of how it all works with just on your computer and sit in front of a screen for hours on end and and clipping clipping tape and and writing down notes and things like that so 
in that sense, it's been a bit easier for me, but I, I definitely do miss getting out to the rink on uh, on the times that I do. Interesting. All right. Well, I have asked all my guests this week to give me six guys that they uh, like probably more than other people like them, and uh, as well as at least one player. Uh, that might be the on the opposite side of that ledger. Let's start at the top. And uh, on your, uh, your wish list, you got Quinton Byfield uh, ranked really high. And correct me if I'm wrong, Cam, but you're one of the very few who might even have him number one. I think I might be the only the only main public list that has him at number one, and and it's been that way since uh, I've had him on my list at number one since November. I, I first published him at number one in in December ahead of the World Junior Championships, uh, and yeah, I've I've kind of I've lost a lot of sleep over it. Let's let's just say that is that over the over the weeks and months, it's it's been something that I've wrestled with, and then you know coming into the spring, I just kind of got to the point where I this is where I'm gonna stay, and and it's. And it wasn't an easy decision because I think that everybody and their dog knows that Alexis Lafreniere is the best player in this group at this moment. And, and there's really, there's no, there's no real competition at this time. Uh, but it's a fairly easy exercise to look at a group of 17, 18 year olds and determine who's the best right now. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more difficult to say who's going to be the best in five or 10 years. And so that's obviously the job of a scout is to, to try to find the value when they're 23, when they're 28, when they're 30. And so for me, when it comes to Quentin Byfield, is that his his one-on-one play is amazing. He is a man amongst boys at this moment with his size, six foot four, six foot five. He plays at you know two ten, two fifteen right now. You got to imagine that's going to be two twenty five when he when he fully grows and matures into his frame. But he doesn't play a style in the OHL that is reliant on his size. We've seen that in the past where some of these bigger players can run over 16, 17, 18 year olds in junior. And then they go to the NHL and they realize, Oh, uh, every defenseman is six foot two and over 200 pounds. And I can't just barrel over them. Right. Byfield isn't like that. He has these, you know, Jason Spezza like hands. He skates like he's five foot 10, but in that giant frame of his. And so there are some, there are some deficiencies in his game at this point. Um, he can, drive himself into traffic more often than maybe someone like he loves to get in there in traffic and maneuver and handle and, and work his way through that when sometimes there might be an easier an easier path to, to traverse. Um, now, when you go to the NHL, there's not too much open space. So uh, it, it would be nice if he could find that ability to to spot it out. But at the same time, he's getting a lot of practice on how to handle the puck in tight quarters. Um, I think that the range of outcomes for Byfield, because he's so young and, and we're recording here today, it's his, actually his 18th birthday here today. So uh, I tweeted out that for seven more weeks, him and Alexis Lafreniere will be the same age. <laughs> so that kind of gives a gauge of how how far apart they are in their maturity levels, just physically and, and emotionally and mentally, is that a year at this age, it can be massive. I think you remember when you were 17, is that, you know, over a course of a year, you can do some serious growth as a human being. And so I'm looking for him to potentially go back to the OHL next year. Maybe he's going over to Europe to play and he's working on physically getting stronger, which is scary, utilizing that that strength. And then, you know, working out some of the kinks in his game where he can find those quiet spots on the ice because, you know, he will be a target in the NHL and that'll be something that he'll want to do. Um, I think he has superstar potential. Sorry, I'll let you get a word in here too. No, no, that's fine. I was just going to say that's a really excellent rundown of what he's like at this level and what you can expect from him at the next level. Is there, I don't like the NHL comparisons uh, all that often, but is there somebody that you have in mind that uh, you could maybe project him to be similar to in, at some way at the next level? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's, uh, and I've spoken to this with a number of, of scouts on, on the team side too, and there's, like I said, there's a range of outcomes for him. So, <clears throat> pardon me, is that, you know, maybe he ends up being a Rick Nash type of player, okay. uh, either, you know, down the middle or on the wing. And that's, and that's the first overall pick that, you know, a, a lot of teams would be happy to get, but he's someone who kind of tantalized every few shifts or every couple of games with this draw, jaw dropping moves. But he doesn't do it every single night. Um, then, you know, kind of the, the next best level is that, you know, maybe we're looking at a player like Evgeny Malkin or Eric Lindros, where they become this physical force and they have all that skill and they put it together on a much more consistent basis. That Eric Lindros one is that, you know, can he add that snarl, that nastiness? And for some players, I think that that's more ingrained in them naturally. And so I'm not expecting him to become this big, mean giant of a man. Mm-hmm. But I, what I would like to see is that he... You know, he, he's going to be so big, even in the NHL, is that he's going to have his way with players. Uh, the vast majority of them, he'll have a size advantage. And so you'll want to see him maybe not be mean, but really, really assert his dominance physically over players. And so I think those are kind of your range of outcomes. I don't see a player where you can compare him if things don't break right, because at his size, with his skill level, it just doesn't come around. It, it, we, we see it so infrequently, they're like unicorns. And so if they do... I can't think of a single player that it hasn't worked out for. I don't know if there's any red flags or anything like that, but 29 goals as a rookie, only 32 this year, although almost 20 fewer games. So I guess that, that really speaks to the, uh, you know, not a big jump in, uh, in goal scoring, but a huge jump in uh, point production overall and assists. Do you see him more as a, a shooter or a setup guy, or is there, you know, a, a pretty balanced combination of both? I think there is a balance. I think he maybe defers a little bit more to the pass, um, but he has a great release as well. It's heavy, it's quick, and it's accurate too. So, you know, I've I've heard some people talk about Leon Dreisaitl. I think Dreisaitl's a better finisher than Byfield is. I don't see 50 goals uh, in all likelihood coming for Byfield at some point. But, you know, if he's going to be, he's not going to be Joe Thornton. He's not going to be putting up 17, 18 goals a season. I think that this kid is that if he reaches his potential, we're talking 30, 35 a year with those 50, 60 assists coming down uh, in, in kind of that peak uh, part right. of his career okay perfect let's move on to the next uh, guy and another player that uh, i think we all expect to go probably top 10 uh but you might like alexander holtz more than uh, than most tell me why yeah so i i ended up putting holtz number four on my final board again i think that might be one of the higher rankings of him um several reasons for this he had improved his skating notably this season and so that's that's coming from a place of being a good skater already. He went from being a, a good above average skater to being now a, an even better skater. And he did so playing against men in the SHL. And so that's, you know, plus number one for me. Also speaking with some, some coaches and some people there in, in the Swedish hockey league is that as a 17 year old, he was welcomed with open arms on his club into a top six role and he meshed immediately. He is, uh, you know, a, a mature kid in that sense that all he wants to do is get better and all he wants to do is score goals and win games. And that is infectious. And the veterans on his team, you know, they were drawn to that and, and they're big fans of this kid. And, and I think that that, that internal, desire to improve that fire is is very very important to to assess these kids and then of course you you staple that on top of you know by far the best release in this class and you've got a recipe for for some some gaudy point total so as i mentioned i don't i don't expect to see quentin byfield putting up 50 goals 
if one day Alexander Holtz put up 50 goals, that wouldn't surprise me. So I think he plays a, he plays a little bit like Patrick Laine where he can shoot th- through his stride. So in flight, he can let the shot go and he can catch netminders off guard, similar to how Joe Sackick used to do it back in the day where all of a sudden his, it's, it's off his stick and you didn't see it coming because he was still mid flight. Um, he's equally dangerous on the power play. So to have that, that goal scoring ability to come from even strength and on the, on the power play in setup, in transition, He's also uh, quite a quite a good passer too. So he's not a one trick pony. I think in that regard, he's more well rounded than a player like Patrick Laine. Um, I, I think that he he won't ever be an, an elite burner, one of these guys that's going to be snake and breakaways everywhere. But you know he has great balance. His stance is there. Uh, he reinforces himself with the puck. He can handle it well. Uh, you know he can shake and bake one on one situations in the SHL already, sort of thing. Um, it, it it's he's got a lot to his game that I think is more well rounded than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, you know again there are there are a few things you know he he can do a little bit better off puck. So his defensive awareness, uh, general defensive game, it's 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 going to be good enough. It probably won't ever be elite, but that's not what you're paying him to do, right? You're paying right. this kid to score goals, to produce offense, to create, and and I think that's exactly what he's going to do. And so for me, I had Lucas Raymond ahead of him for basically the entire season until the end here, where I, I nudged him in front because I just see that that one elite asset, his goal scoring, is going to put him very very high on on goal scoring leaderboards down the road. Interesting, and I note that for elite prospects, now that's the uh, the, the group as a whole. They have uh, Raymond number three and Holtz number six, so different for you, just one guy on that staff. So did, I imagine there were some healthy uh, discussions there when you were trying to state your case. Yeah, there absolutely was, and we actually just recorded, uh, we did kind of our our security council meeting where we, we parsed down some of our scouts and we just kind of had the head of, of each department and we, we kind of put together our final locked in board and I won't give anything away, but I was beating the table for a few guys and, and Alexander Holtz was one of them for sure. And a couple more that we'll be talking about here later on the day so that we, we, we might have them a little bit higher up on the final list with EP ringside here when it's released again with our draft guide. All right. Well, let's get to another one of those guys that's on your personal favorites list, the uh, defenseman Brock Faber. And uh, it seems to me that this is a real, divisive guy you either really like him or he doesn't do a whole lot for you Uh, obviously uh, he impresses you though he does very much and he's one of these guys that it's just a modern day defenseman and so he is an excellent skater like a very very efficient skater he creates speed quickly with a long fluid stride the recovery is nice i i love the way this kid skates he's not the biggest player at at six foot but he's sturdy at 195 pounds you're going to imagine he's playing over 200 pounds very very young for this crop you know we talked about it's byfield's birthday today I think uh, Faber doesn't turn 18 for another week or so. So he's one of the younger kids in this crop, has a lot of developmental path ahead of him, runway. Um, He was playing on a team at the U.S. National Development Program there that didn't have a lot of offensive talent to work with up front. And we've had this conversation a lot with Jake Sanderson. Is that, you know, Jake Sanderson's this tremendous defenseman that didn't put up great numbers, but he probably will next year playing, uh, you know, in in the NCAA if there is an NCAA season. Um, But for Faber, he's going to the University of Minnesota next year. I imagine the same thing will happen to him. His point totals are going to go up when he has better players to work with. But the key with Faber is that he just transitions the puck so effectively and gets it up to his forwards in a hurry either with this pass or with his feet that you know that that ability is going to transition so nicely into the NHL it's it's a skill set that 
is demonstrably better than most at his age group. And he's going to only build that over two or three seasons at Minnesota and then come into an NHL club. So like you said, it's true. Some, some people just see kind of a vanilla prospect where I see someone who, you know, in the NHL, I don't expect him to be putting up 40 or 50 points. I expect him to be taking a lot of minutes on, you know, as a, as a second pairing guy who is quietly getting the puck up and out of the zone and into the, and onto the sticks of his forwards to go and help create that offense. And he just, he just mutes scoring opportunities against as well. It's just he has a great stick at the line that he knows when to step up and poke that puck away. He knows when he needs to give a little and angle into the corner. Um, just a really quietly effective player who I'm a, a big, big fan of. And obviously that skating is going to give him a leg up in, in every in every facet because he's he's so responsible. But if he does make a mistake, he has the ability to get back and clean it up. Now, nobody's perfect. There's got to be areas of his game that uh, leave you wanting more at this point. Things that uh, you think he needs to, to focus on, to work on. Or what, what might some of those be? I'd like to see him be a little bit more physical. Like I say, he's not the biggest player, but I, I would like to see a little more physicality for him, from him, especially you know in the corners working down low. He can go a little soft in that regard and then all of a sudden get caught and, and get beat by someone who, who did lean in. Um, I think that there is a lot of opportunity for him to, to display a little more creativity with the puck when he does rush it. So he has that great skating ability is that, you know, he can create some time and space for himself. Is that to you to maybe better utilize that to, to get himself some more primary helpers or, or go for a little bit more of a rush. So I think that there's, there's more opportunities for him. I think that uh, some of his pinches too, you know, when he does get a little excited in the offensive zone and pinch down the wall that he can get beat a little bit in that regard. So those decision makings. Um, but again, at, at this level anyways, he was able to clean up those mistakes pretty quickly because he can get back so soon. But yeah, just just those those minor things. But at this point, he's a very safe prospect. Uh, someone who I have in my first round and who I definitely was beating the table for and I have been for months at, at EP ringside there. And, and he's going to be higher up our list. But I think whoever snags him on day two of the draft is where I expect he's going to go is they're going to be very happy with their decision in a few years. Well, and I like when you described him, he's going to be, I mean, he's six foot, but he's probably going to play closer to 200 and maybe even a lo- little bit more than that. It's going to be like uh, trying to hit a fire hydrant. Uh, that's that's exactly. a pretty solid guy. Uh, lots to like with Brock Faber. Let's go to Wyatt Kaiser, another defenseman. Uh, he played uh, for the most part this year in high school hockey, though he did get 11 games at the USHL level with Dubuque. Uh, this is a guy I've I've heard a little bit more about over the last couple of months. Um, so uh, you might not be going out on a, a limb by yourself with Wyatt Kaiser, but uh, again, like Faber, there's some who this is a guy who's completely off their radar. Um, so tell me why he stood out to you. Yeah, I might be on a limb with Wyatt Kaiser because I've got him in my first round, Ooh, right wow. at the tail end there, and I, uh, yeah, and I, uh, we've got him at Elite Prospects in our second round, and then I'm not sure anybody else has him. Uh, you know, in the, in the top three rounds. So, uh, this is a kid that I've definitely put my flag in. And, and another thing similar to, similar to Alexander Holtz is that speaking to people close to him and his family and the teams that he's played with is that this kid has the drive, that he's one of these ones that if you're going to put some money down on a player finding a way, uh, this is, this is a very good bet to do it. He has an elite brain. So this is one of the high end thinkers of the game. Uh, we'll talk about his weaknesses in a little bit that contradict that a little, a, a little bit, but he is a high end thinker of the game. 
tremendous skater, another standout skater in many regards. So he has straight line separation speed, um, his edge work and ability to maneuver in tight spaces. He allows him to, you know, escape pressure quickly and efficiently. Um, he, he throws in a little stutter step and that mohawk skating technique a little bit too, to create some deception. Uh, I love the way that he can stop and start on a dime. Uh, he, his breakout passes makes pinpoint passes very quickly. Um, accurate at hitting the forwards right on the tape. Um, offense on the rush, uh, you know, he, he regularly joins the rush, jumping in as that, as that fourth forward almost. And he's, his timing is, is really, he picks it effectively. I think that he, he can get into the slot. He can crash the net when he wants to do it. And then he can hustle and get right back. Can be quite aggressive on the blue line to step up, um, to, to both blue lines actually to, to step up and squash kind of oncoming or potentially oncoming rushes against, um, you know, the weaknesses. The shot is, is, isn't very strong. I think that that's a, an, an area that he definitely can improve on. And one of the more, correctable issues in his game or in, in anyone's game is adding some more strength and some more quickness to your shot. So I think that is, is one of them. And then here's the one that kind of contradicts that he has an elite main is that sometimes he's a liability to make one or two glaring mistakes in a game. Ones where you go, what was that? And, and, and I think that that has been something that has trailed him for a little while now. And that we've started to see minimize a little bit as the season wore on, but you know, it'll just be a, a strange turnover in his own zone, or he'll blow a tire trying to trying to cut too sharply when he doesn't have the support to do so. Things like that. So, I think he needs to add strength both to play the physical style of game that that he's going to need to play, and to add some some power and pop to that shot. And then he's just going to need to clean up those those silly errors that he makes at times, even at the high school level where he's you know just so head and shoulders above a lot of the talent in that in those in those circuits in high school hockey, obviously. Um, you know, when he was playing up in the USHL, he didn't get many points, but I watched every game, every shift of his in the USHL, and he was very, very good. He was getting power play time too, but just the the creativity and the offense weren't coming with him, and I think that that was part and parcel with playing in a more difficult league and, and adjusting, and it was such a short time, 10 or 11 games, but but everything, the skating, the passing, the calmness with the puck, that was all there, and that was prevalent, and I think that we're going to continue to see that when he goes to, I think he's going to Duluth. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So he's, he's, you know, a, a program that knows how to develop defenders. For sure. Uh, so another one of these guys that's going to go on day two, um, you know, he might be sitting there round three, round four. And if someone's able to pick this kid up in that zone, I think that'll be a home run swing. I, I would be, I would be, I would be, you know, standing and, and applauding a team if they can get him that late while also being, incredibly upset that he was still sitting there <laughs> uh yeah i like that he's going to duluth that's uh, been a defenseman factory for a while now and um uh, here's the reason why i'm not a scout and i'm just a guy who hosts a show about prospects tell me about the mohawk skating style can you dumb that down for me and and for my audience that might not be uh as ingrained or in tune to it as as you are what does that mean what does it look like sure um and for you i think this will make it clear it up pretty remember hunter shinkarik yes Remember how he how he would open up his hips and he would almost be skating sideways as he's got his feet pointed in opposite directions. Mm, so you open it up and then you're and then you're kind of shifting your weight, keeping yourself almost sideways where you're working your hips. And it's that open faced skating style. Usually it's to get around somebody. Um and we see uh, Antonio Stranges does that a ton for London this season, the last couple seasons in the OHL, um, to a fault almost. But it's it's a it's a way to maneuver your body and your and edges to get around a player in a tight situation. Maybe it's coming down the wall and a defenseman's trying to pinch you out, and all of a sudden you're you're sideways while facing the defenseman coming in to hit you, and you slip right through that, and you can manage to keep your acceleration going. 
by working the edges with your hips wide open. Um, and so it's, it can be an effective, uh, tool in very specific situations, but if overused, it becomes inefficient and you're, you're almost wasting opportunities to gain speed or to get that straight line going. Excellent. I appreciate that. Okay. Helga Granz is a, uh, a Swedish defenseman, uh, but he's a big guy. We've been talking about a couple of smaller guys, but, uh, what does he list at six, three and about 195 pounds, uh, according to elite prospects. So, uh, this is a guy that's at the other end of the spectrum when it comes to size. Where do you have him in your personal rankings and why? Yeah, let's see. Where exactly do I have him? I think I have him 16 on my board. Wow. Let's just double check that. Yeah, so a, a little bit higher on this guy. Yeah, I have him 16 on my list. Uh, so like you said, six foot three, uh, 192 right shot defenseman, a little bit younger for this crop again. That's going to be something you hear about, uh, from me often. And that's not something that I, We'll say, you know, you're born in September, late September, and you're older for this crop, I'm going to bump you down my list. Or you're born in August, so you're very young for this crop, I'm going to bump you up my list. But when I see players that are young for a crop and are still showing areas of improvement that will come with physical maturity or, you know, basic general emotional, mental maturity that comes with that year, that extra year of growth – or opportunity with their clubs. Uh, you know, it's a lot harder for a very young 17-year-old to crack a high-level spot in a men's pro league in Europe or even in the OHL in some circumstances than it is for someone on the older end of their draft-eligible year. So when it comes to Grons, another great skater. Um, he's He's got nice skills with the puck. He can transition it quickly and effectively up and out of the zone. He was very, very good for Malmo in, in the J20 this year. He put up, I, I think it was a point of game or even more. Yeah. And then he saw himself you know, more than a cup of coffee in the SHL playing with the Red Hawks up there. He, he played 20 or so games in a limited role, but he didn't look out of place. Uh, and, and I just see, I, I see a lot of tools that I feel like are going to continue to develop on a, on a, on a player who's six foot three, plays the right side, skates very well, has offensive upside. Those are a lot of markers for me on the back end. And and I, I see this as a player that he can have his areas of improvement. Again, there can be some decision-making issues. Uh, and I think a lot of that happened internationally. So if you watched him at the Holinka Gretzky this past season, you're thinking, what the hell, Robinson? What he got him 16th overall for? This kid's not that great. If you watched him... In the SHL for his 20 games, you would probably say the other, you, you would, you would agree with me because his international play left a lot to be desired while his, his club play, you saw all this potential and you saw a player who could dominate his age group and then still look strong as a 17 year old playing against men in, you know, arguably the third or fourth best league in the world. Uh, so for me, Helga Granz, you know, I, there's, I think there's a world out there where in, in five or 10 years, if he goes in the late teens or twenties that, that we're asking the question is how did, how did he fall to, how did he fall to 18 or 20 or something like that? Because his, his potential could be a top pairing defenseman. Um, I think the safer bet is that he, he ends up as more of a second pairing, second power play type of guy, but there is that room for growth that he could be a home run hit even in the mid late first round. All right. Um, let's go move on to, uh, Ozzy Weisblatt, the last guy on your list of uh, personal favorites that we're going to chat about today, but, uh, I saw a lot of him with the Prince Albert Raiders in the WHL and, uh, there's lots to like, um, he'd be one of the guys on my list as well, I think, but tell me why, uh, he's on your list, uh, Cam. Well, it's hard not to root for this kid, hey? Like, just a frenetic ball of energy. It's, uh, he, he, he's, the motor never stops. And so, 
love that he gets in there. He's ferocious on the four check. He can bang. Um, but, but those things are fine in the WHL. Um, and you want to see that in a player who's going to be an energy style player moving up, but it's, it's not what keeps him high on my board. It's, it's, you know, he's one of the best transition attackers in the WHL. So his rush patterns are terrific. He, he uses that, that high crossover rate. He backs defenders off with his pace and finds teammates when that space is created. He's constantly pushing play towards the middle of the ice. Um, you know, he, he handles the puck well. He blends speed and rush patterns with this really slick puck handling. Um, and he keeps it out of the defender's reach. Um, he, he uses his speed as a reliant. He's relying on it to retrieve pucks, um, on, you know, potential turnovers or, you know, shots on goal that go to the corner. And he can go in there and he can retrieve that puck. He can use his physicality, his body position to, to get there, recover the puck. Um, I, I think that his, his skating is, is fun to watch because it's just, there's crossovers every second step sort of thing galore, three step separation gear, smooth acceleration. Uh, there's a lot to love about this kid. He's a puck thief. He's just a robber out there. Um, you know, there are weaknesses. Obviously we're talking about a, a player who uh, I think on most boards, they're talking about late second rounder on my board. We're talking about, you know, maybe in the early thirties. But, you know, I'd like to see his, his shot improve a little bit, add some more deception, uh, you know, a bit of curl and drag, catch and release, uh, in flight, those type of things that's going to afford you uh, more opportunities in the NHL when time and space is gone and you need to receive that puck in a hurry, change the angle and get it off. Um, you know, his off-puck offense. Uh, so I think that his timing when he's not in possession can be improved as well so that he can time getting to those spot, soft spots well, you know, engaging and, and receiving the pass and getting that, that quick shot off. Um, you know, I think that he can look for opportunities to fly the zone a little bit too. Um, that, that, that isn't in his game now that he, he'll, he'll, he'll play a little safe there. So, uh, you know, can he run a power play in the NHL? Can he be a guy that effectively on your power play? Is he a top nine winger? Um, is he a top six winger? Is he a bottom, you know, of the lineup winger? So I think there's a lot of questions on how he'll develop. Um, I, I think that, more well there's several guys that we've talked about today but it'll be important for what organization he goes to and how they bring him along what what vision they have for him as a type of player because you don't want to try to push you know a triangle into a square hole and so i think that you need to play to his strength and that is you know his his energy his skating his ability to retrieve pucks and so for me that screams an effective third line energy style winger but those guys are very very valuable especially you know we see right now in the playoff season is that Third lines can be the the difference in a series. I see Tampa Bay now, and their and their third line right now is just incredible. And the same with Vegas. It's just a bunch of speed, and they can't get uh, the other team can't get the puck back off of them, and they just get them hemmed in. And so I think that Ozzy Weisbutt could be uh, that type of player. Uh, Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects, my guest. Now, Cam, I asked everybody for it again. Six guys on the uh, on the wish list, and two guys that well, they're probably going to get drafted before you'd be comfortable uh, taking them. Uh, I'm going to get to the big name last, but uh, we're going to chat about William Willinder first. Uh, now, this is a guy, again, that uh, a lot of people do like and would have potentially in the first round uh, at some point. Uh, wh- what about for you? So I, I, I see all the things with William Molinder that, that, that everybody else sees. So he is a super smooth skater, very fluid stride, um, technically skilled. Uh, and at his size at 6'3 or 6'4, it's very, very impressive. Um, he has nice agility, quick turning from backwards to forward. He, he plays that mobile and offensive style game. So I, I think that that, that smooth lateral movement, the acceleration, everything's there. <clears throat> Pardon me. Soft hands, good puck control. 
you know, he can overhandle the puck. Uh, you know, he's got a decent first pass out of the zone. Then, you know, we get into some of the negatives here. And so I think that, you know, I, I'll, I keep going back to, to Western League players for you here is that remember Jake Vertanen and how he played the game is that he could he could dominate with his size and his speed. And he had that terrific shot when he was playing in the dub. Uh, but you could see that he had all these tools, but he maybe lacked the toolbox to carry them around. And that's what I see from Olinder is that he has all these terrific tools, but he can't put them all together because he's not an intelligent player. And so I don't think he understands the defensive side of the game, how to play defense. I, 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 I truly feel that he doesn't understand how to play defense. And that's a big concern for me for a defenseman. Uh, I think his passing game is wildly inconsistent, that he can miss players in flight by not by inches, but by feet. Uh, and so that, that is also concerning. Uh, he can be too offensively minded. Uh, so I think that his positioning on the ice, all over the ice, it, 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 there's, there's multiple times in a game, many, many times in the game where he's clearly at a position because he's cheating for offense or he's looking to cheat for offense. Um, he lacks high quality tools <clears throat> in the offensive zone. I think that his, his offensive game is better in transition versus, you know, making a move, walking the line and getting a shot through. So I think his ceiling is a number, you know, a second pairing defenseman with, with nice puck rushing skills, but that his floor is a player that, you know, is maybe in your lineup because he can skate so well, or maybe he's has a great career in Europe sort of thing. And so if he had the brain to go along with that, those physical tools, you know, I think I've got him close to 40 or in the forties on my board. Um, you know, you could cut that in half. You could, you could put him where Helga Granz is because, you know, he's got, he probably has better physical tools than Gronz does, but his IQ is is far inferior. All right. Well, maybe I buried the lead, but let's get to the guy uh, that uh, I think might raise the most amount of eyebrows uh, that you uh, are a bit down on him, at least compared to uh, your peers. Uh, but shouldn't be any surprise if anybody goes to Elite Prospects and looks at the uh, at the rankings there, and you see uh, Tim Stutzel uh, coming in on number eight, Walt, whereas most people have him two or three. Uh, that's not your the case for you. Uh, why are you why are you so down on Tim Stutzel, Cam? It sucks too because I was an <laughs> early early champion and proponent of Tim Stutzel. I, I I you know I think I had him number eight on my board when I released last August, and, and where most people probably didn't have him that high because he has this tremendous speed. He's got great hands. Uh, he he's he's a he's a gamer. He's got fire too, but. You know, his, his strengths are that, you know, handling and pace. He has great control of his pace. So he can, he can throw off defenders with the, the changing of the gears. He can quarterback a power play from the left circle with great confidence. He, he has these downhill attacks, especially on the power play where he can hit a cross ice seam and, and with ease almost. And, and those type of things jump out. And, and I just like to say is that, you know, just because I'm lower on him the most doesn't mean I don't like him as a player. I, I think that he has a lot of upside. I think he has a lot of upside as a winger more than a center, which drops him down on my list. I think that he, he definitely will succeed if put on the wing. He'll have a greater chance to succeed than in the middle of the ice. Uh, the weaknesses. So he has those great hands. 
but he overhandles. He doesn't set up his dekes very well. So he has the same sort of setup where uh, NHL defenders are going to be able to mitigate that threat fairly easily. Um, I think his off-puck offense and his shooting, that he overskates those soft pockets of the ice. Um, he defaults to the front or the corner. It, you know, he he's rarely ready to shoot when he doesn't have the puck. So it takes him a while to receive it, get his body into position, and then let it fly again in the DEL in the top German league, you can get away with that. There is zero back pressure in the DEL. Like it's, it's almost silly that you can, that the, the back pressure in that league is, it's just non-existent. Um, I think that he is, he relies on a lot of touches and again, you're, it's going to be a little more difficult for that, that those type of skills to transition upwards. His problem solving ability is low. And so when he is forced and faced with pressure, his ability to assess the play and accurately determine what he's going to do next, I find is on the lower end of things. And that that's another reason that we see him missing passes, missing opportunities for others, holding onto the puck too long, and then running out of real estate, those type of things. Um, at the same time, you know, this could be a Nikolai Ehlers type of transitional player in the NHL, is that he will be able to fly the, through the neutral zone and gain entry in the offensive zone almost at will. And there's a lot of value in that. Uh, I think that he's a player that can work on his things. I don't think he's his IQ is so low that these some of these problems can't be coached out of him. Um, and, you know, if they are, you're, you're looking at yourself a, a really nice, impactful first line winger in, in my mind. And so, you know, for me, I've got him at number six on my board. Um, it was he's it's packed jam type, you know, Holtz, Raymond, Stutzla right there together. I could have put them in any order and I would have felt comfortable about it. That's a tier. So, you know, I'm, I'm not putting him up with Lafreniere and Byfield because I don't think he's in that, he's in that sphere of talent, even though there's a lot of smoke coming out of LA that they, they like Stutzla a lot at number two and he might go that high. Um, I think that that would be somewhat of a mistake, but you know, you're getting an elite skating player who has the ability to, to drop jaws. And so I, I, I think that there is, there is value with him. I just am a little bit lower than others. Now, 34 points as a rookie, as an 18 year old playing against men, that's notable in 41 games, but only seven goals. Does that speak to maybe it's hard for him to score? So he's, he's moving the puck. Uh, quickly uh, to his uh, line mates uh, so that they can score or he's just not a very good shooter uh, how how do you uh, justify seven goals in 41 games for a guy that's touted as an offensive uh, player like that yeah so I, I think that that a, a large part of that is his off puck offense is that when he has the puck he is he is he's kind of trained into going wide and so he doesn't force the issue into into the middle of the ice where you have a higher percentage a, a higher likelihood of finishing off plays is that when you're flying wide you're either trying to cut hard to the net where you know that's 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 big boy territory down there or you're going around the net and assessing looking for more options and now your shooting threat is gone um so for him to improve on his goal scoring he needs to a get himself with the puck into the middle of the ice for for a higher expected goal percentage or he needs to figure out how to get his body ready to shoot have the have the position the stance ready to go so that when he does get himself into a soft spot in the middle of the ice and the puck comes he's ready to fire and i think at this point both of those areas need great improvement in order for him to be a high-end goal scorer he's one of these guys that i wouldn't be surprised if he ended up being a 20 goal guy versus a 30 goal guy if if you know if he ends up being a 20 20 20 goal 40 assist type of player 
similar to Nick Ehlers. Uh, you know, I, I actually think Ehlers has a better release, but, but that style of player of production, uh, that, that wouldn't surprise me too much. Excellent. Cam, listen, I really appreciate the rundown on all these guys. That was, uh, outstanding information. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I, uh, call on you again, cause this was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Give me a call anytime. We'll work it out. Excellent. Well, thanks for this. And, uh, I guess maybe we'll chat uh, again, hopefully before the draft. Uh, but in, if not, uh, until uh, next time, uh, stay safe. Thanks. You as well. That was uh, Cam Robinson's debut here on the Pipeline Show, but as I uh, told him at the end there and off the air, uh, it's not going to be the last time I call him. I really enjoyed that conversation. I like how he was able to explain to me what the Mohawk skating style is all about, and terrific insight in uh, into a number of players. I like you know talking about Quentin Byfield, why he has him number one. I mean, every year it seems like this, there's some group out there or some independent scout that has a different guy than the consensus ranked number one. And a lot of times it's like, oh, that guy just wants to get a little attention. But Cam backs it up. Like, he's got a, an opinion uh, about Byfield Lafreniere that goes against the grain. But uh, he gives some really good uh, reasoning for it. So I like that. Uh, kudos to him. I also like how he broke down uh, Alexander Holson because I'm intrigued to see where he's ranked for people in accordance to some of the other European forwards. Uh, that are available, like Lucas Raymond, for example, because Holtz outscored him, outproduced him, and then you throw Noel Gundler into the mix. And so I'm just curious to see how it all breaks down. It's not that I'm agreeing or disagreeing. It's just I, I like that conversation. I like having that conversation with people with opinions, educated opinions, informed opinions. That's what I seek to provide here on the Pipeline Show, and Cam delivered. He knocked that out of the park. Outstanding stuff. And with that, that wraps up the season 16 premiere of the Pipeline Show. Thanks to all four of my guests that you heard from uh, today. Next week on the show, going to be reaching out, trying to get some 2020 eligible players uh, on the program. I know uh, moving forward the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be uh, lining up uh, a conversation with an agent, but I uh, don't want to tip my hat or tip my cards uh, too much. Uh, but looking forward to what's uh, what's to come here in the next little bit. As always, if you're uh, a fan of the Pipeline Show, if you appreciate the content that you hear here, maybe uh, consider uh, becoming a patron. Patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show. All the details uh, for you, what that means, what you get uh, by signing up to be a patron. If you have any requests uh, for guests uh, that you'd like to hear on the show, you can always uh, drop me a line at TPS underscore Guy on Twitter, Guy at the Pipeline Show.com with an email. Until next week, continue to treat other, each other with respect. Stressful times for everybody. Everybody's kids supposed to be going back to school here in a couple of weeks. Oh, by the way, if you're in the uh, Edmonton area and you're uneasy about um, Alberta's back-to-school plans, uh, there is an alternative uh, that you might want to consider. I tweeted about it earlier today. Uh, check out my Twitter feed. might want to contact uh, Mr. G, Liam Ganton, as he is a uh, tutor for hire, basically. All the details on his Facebook page, but I tweeted out the link to that. So uh, at TPS underscore Guy and uh, look for that. Uh, might be well worth your while. I I've known Liam since he was eight years old. He's in his 30s now. I happen to be married to his sister, but uh, he is a first class guy and he's going to help your kids get the grades that, uh, that they're looking for, that you're hoping for. Uh, and I know because he helped my son and is uh, going to again this fall. So check that out. Until next week, everybody, continue to uh, treat each other with respect and kindness. And we will talk to you next week right here on The Pipeline Show. See ya.